everybody, and welcome back to the interseason. It's still happening. We're surprising you. It's an eleventh episode of the interseason. I'm still Jack Chambers. I'm still your host, as always. And joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. Why did you say that name? <laughs> there was a moment where Jack was like, wait, what? <laughs> Oh, well, that's one of your best intros. You've done just like, hey, how are you? Right? And stuff like that for a while now. At the 11th hour, really caught me off guard. Legit caught me off guard. Well done, sir. Well done. (laughs) And speaking of people catching me off guard, also joining us, it's Tim Matum. Snyder Man, Snyder Man, does whatever a Snyder can. (laughs) Unfortunately, he does, yes. And basically, we came to this decision a few weeks ago. We were talking about, you know, the the Snyder Cut's coming up. We wanted to do a commentary for it and all that kind of stuff because we talked about it so much. It's come up in episodes. It's come up on the Discord. We've talked about it on Twitter. Matt's done a review for it. We've talked about it, the three of us, just in chats and and like pre-show conversations and stuff like that. So we kind of had to do it. This episode is about Zack Snyder's Justice League and all... Four hours and two minutes of it. But before we get to the Justice League, because, oh boy, we're going to get to the Justice League, don't you worry. Let's say a little thank you to our patrons. You can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and support us on various different tiers to get various different rewards. You can get ad-free and early access to episodes. You can get exclusive merch, exclusive content, bonus episodes during this interseason, including outtakes coming up in Season 8 as well. and if you go up to the higher tiers, you can become an executive producer and get a shout-out like these fine gentlemen have. In a way, they're the Justice League to our Zack Snyder. And I don't mean that as an insult, even though it sounds like an insult. <laughs> it means they're pure creations and we're going to be an abomination who destroys them. <laughs> Thank you very much to Jonathan Firth-Clark. Because there's no time restraint on the film, it does give us an opportunity to really see everyone fulfill their arc within the context of the movie. The emotional journey is there. Andrew Steen. We live in a society. Mike Salvia. Oh, and some have called me the Martian Manhunter. Josh Miles. Because when I held Harley quiet and she was bleeding and dying, she begged me with her last breath that when I killed you and make no mistake, I will fucking kill you. Then I do it slow. Josh Vandersloos. You won't kill me. I'm your best friend. Besides, who's gonna give you a reach around? Anyway. And the man known only as Xenos. So begins the end. For dark time. Thank you very much for your support, gentlemen. As always, we very much appreciate it. And I apologize in advance for this episode. Because I'm, if you're a new listener to the show, or oh, you're in for a wild ride here, because uh, I have a bit of a history with Mr. Snyder. And uh, you, you, you may... N- Long-term listeners and, and people in the Discord and people who, who follow me on social media may be aware that I am I'm prone to going on rants about, about a certain film director. 
that we will be discussing in this episode. And as such, I thought we, we better structure the show a bit so I don't just go off com- on complete insane rants. And basically, Matt and Tim are just sat there, headphones in their laps, just like, for fuck's sake, Jack, you've just been going for two <laughs> hours straight. You haven't even taken a breath or had a drink. I, I want to get your guys' input as well, because... As much as we as like much it as when, I would love to just rant when Jack back. unleashes himself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've had Angry Tim. We, we had Angry Tim uh, for the Resident Evil episode. But I think this might be this might be Angry Jack to another level, and Angry Jack is nothing new to the show. So, if anything, that's my primary emotion during sequels. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's kick things off, shall we, gentlemen? With Chapter One, don't count on it, sequelizers. Basically, how did this film come to be? Because some people, some listen to that. I'm sure most people who are listening to a movie podcast probably are aware of the origin story of this film, how it came to be, and the journey from the 2017 version of Justice League to now the 2021 four-hour-long version known as Zack Snyder's Justice League. I would say it comes down to sycophancy, the the dictionary definition of which is obsequious behaviour towards someone important in order to gain advantage. Um, (laughs) And that's literally it. Oh, Oh, along with, let's see the other dictionary definition, shall we? Uh, <laughs> along with pressure, continuous physical force exerted on or against an object by something in contact with it. So basically, if we're being if we're being pedantic uh, for a second, and we are, yes, this film is actually not very unusual. The terms of its creation are arguably not very unusual. The only thing that is is that it's public. So we mentioned this before. Ah, interesting, yeah. Yeah, we've seen this in the past about how, you know, the lineup of films, the the D23 or whatever it's called, with the, the various Comic-Con announcements where you got, here's the next seven years of our company and our projected sequels, blah, 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 blah. These are our films we're going to come out. And then you see them rotate their the release order and things and who's going to be in it and what contracts are up and so on and so forth. These are just industry standard things that have become talking points because of the nature of how us as sort of you know uh, media commentators if you will and and the fan base how they engage with the industry um it's it's almost like uh focus grouping before you can it's like well let's just see how we, they, they go with these clips let's see how we go with this lineup is there kind of any real um demand for this and that's where Zack Snyder's Justice League comes in Justice League was the product of a plan by Warner Brothers, just in case anyone, just in case everyone's genuinely unfamiliar with any of this stuff, who own the rights to the DC comic universe, which they can make adapt adaptations for for cinema. They'd started with the the Batman stuff with the Dark Knight trilogy with Nolan, very 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 successful, and went to Superman because it's their other most successful property. So why would they join anything different? Man of Steel was middling. It was fine. It was better than. Um, Superman Returns for some audiences, worse for others, depending on what your kind of Superman is, etc. And in terms of a blockbuster, it was enough to, to, to launch this thing. <clears throat> then they started adding bits and pieces and they said, well, okay, we're going to try this, this, this. Um, and the key thing to the sequel to this, this Superman movie was a sort of proto-Justice League prequel or, or precursor, shall we say. Um, and to, that to the point was, where it was subtitled Dawn of Justice. Precisely, precisely. It was Batman v <laughs> Superman. And was like, why is it called Batman v Superman? They're allies. No, no, it's like a legal case was what they were saying. 
um, <laughs> two opposing views. Then it became Dawn of Justice because might as well because it's got Wonder Woman in it in there somewhere. And who, who is never introduced by name, by the way. No, her name isn't said until this version of the film. <laughs> That's weird. That's weirdly yep. true. <laughs> yes. Yep. So Warner Brothers thought they wanted to hit. They didn't want to copy Marvel because I went saying, "Why aren't you just doing the Marvel MCU thing that Disney is doing?" Um, no, 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 no. We don't want to be because we copy. can do it faster. That's the thing. No one's. We haven't got okay. the time. We don't want to do individual films. We want to build this up slowly. We want that now. And also, it's just um, that childlike arrogance of, well, no, I don't want that. I want the billion dollars now, and I want that on everything. I'm not going to wait and have like a Batman film, a Superman film, one film. It's like it's like three or four films. It would be easy. It's like no, 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 no. We want to come straight out of the gate, and it's just three, three or four films that are likely to make profit. Precisely, precisely. And it's it's strange because it does come down to an executive mindset of, no, if we just seen as copying them, all the industry conversation be like, oh, they just copied Marvel. It's like, but if it works, who gives a fuck? It's like, oh, oh, you're using sound. No, we won't use sound. Thank you very much. It's like, just use sound. It's very popular. <laughs> anyway, the point I'm trying to get to here is there was a vision, and I'm using that word very uh, generously. Uh, there was a plan, and Batman v Superman came out and did not get the billion dollars it was expected to it had a very healthy profit but not enough uh it got that's the thing it mm. made a load of money but it did not make a billion dollars and Precisely. that's what they had projected because all the marvel stuff was making a billion dollars so yeah eventually. obviously batman and superman <laughs> who were the two biggest comic book characters of all time mm -hmm. should make make a billion dollars obviously precisely and it also got critically lambasted for multiple reasons so what happened was they were already down the rabbit hole of filming this justice league movie which was supposed to be two justice league movies or three and then became one so already all over the place um at which point all the setup all the universe building and Warner Brothers does this quite frequently, unfortunately. They try to have their cake and eat, cake and eat it quite a lot. Um, all the universe building was like, right, we need to pull the plug right now. And we won't go into it too much because we weren't there. And obviously there's lots of personal reasons, but Zack Snyder left the project, was maybe possibly forced out. And Warner Brothers um, brought in Joss Whedon. Very unusual choice. You know, the guy who did Avengers. The guy who did he'll Avengers. Just, he'll just do Avengers again. It'll be fine. Precisely. And he took a lot of what was already in there, reshot some stuff to add some uh, light humor and bits and pieces and, and things that didn't really gel some well. Some Whedonisms. Some Whedonisms, yeah, let's be honest, yeah. Um, there's only one bit I like, that, and that's Batman saying, um, sorry guys, I didn't bring a sword. The only thing I think that's pretty good is that he brings a gun. I'm like, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but... That was their plan. Like, just let's get this film out there and we'll transition. Because the films they had in production at the point were things like Shazam, Birds of Prey, uh, at that point, Wonder Woman 1984, things with a very big, colorful, different output. And it was not good. It was the worst received of them all. Not necessarily, yeah, probably maybe, I don't know, critically, we'll get to that in a second. But mostly it was not the, I think it's the, the weakest box office sort of thing. The thing is that, when people say, oh, companies are just all doing this, oh, they're all just trying to get ahead of it. I mean, if you want to take politics for a second, oh, companies are all putting rainbows on stuff because they're supporting the LGBT community. Oh, it's, oh, it's crazy. It's like, no, they're, what companies do is they gauge the cultural shift and they go with what the safest option is for them. They don't actually have opinions because they're not people. They're a company. They're trying to market what is what is the projected future. Where are we going with this? What do we want to be seen as? What, what side of history do you want to be, you know, siding with? And the fact that DC's current wave of 
of films being put out are much brighter, colorful, silly. I mean, if you do like, you know, <clears throat> if you bisect it down the middle, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, arguably Wonder Woman and Justice League, there are very dark, dour, all this is our vision, you know, that's our style. Then you go Aquaman, Shazam, Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 1984. It's like, this thing is half and half in terms of its tone. It's not like, oh, it was always this. It's like, no, no, no. They're just trying to shift to make whatever makes money. And the thing is, all of it's kind of making money because it's appealing to different demographics. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the essential things when we look back at the origins of this thing is that when the Marvel Cinematic Universe kicked off, they went for... Uh, and it took them a little while to refine exactly what a Marvel film looked like. But they started off with um, John Favreau, who is a good director, but not a director with a strong aesthetic. He doesn't lean towards making particular aesthetic choices, really. And Marvel has continued down that road of having everything be kind of, broadly speaking, realistic. Whereas Zack Snyder makes strong aesthetic choices. And when, obviously, there was The Dark Knight, uh, trilogy which did very well um but that wasn't going to be part of the dc extended universe they weren't using that as a launch pad to then create their own cinematic universe despite I'm the sure... fact they brought christopher nolan back as an executive producer for a uh, bunch of yeah. these movies anyway <laughs> i'm sure there were conversations around that time of like how can we use that because they were such a success um but and and like you say they brought christopher nolan across to to show that they were kind of honouring that part, that success and that thing that was very popular. But when they decided, okay, Man of Steel is going to be our launch pad. It was going to be Green Lantern, but hey, that shut the bed. <laughs> uh, Man of Steel is going to be our launch pad, and they picked Zack Snyder. And he's a, say what you want about him. He is a, a director who makes aesthetic choices. He has a unique vision of how he wants these things to look. And even I can't deny that. Yeah. And that means that because because he has a very strong aesthetic, it's always going to be divisive. There are going to be people who really like it and people who really don't, rather than the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is designed to appeal to a broader plate of people. And there's going to be some people who don't like it because it kind of makes no choices. Um, and I think increasingly people are like, yeah, these films are good, but like it'd be nice to see some more stylistic elements. Hitching their wagon to Snyder so early on meant that the films had to match his tone and they had to match his aesthetic because that's what, if you're, if you're making a consistent universe, that's what the universe has to look like. And so, like Matt said, you had Batman v Superman, you had Wonder Woman and you had Justice League and they all operated in the same sort of mode. It's why the, the Joss Whedon elements are so jarring when you watch his cut of Justice League because you can tell that he is a director, although he's kind of matching the aesthetic of what Snyder had shot, the tone of dialogue is very different. Um, and then DC kind of abandoned that plan when, when Zack Snyder, and obviously we won't really heavily touch on this but like Zack Snyder had a family tragedy and that is terrible and you know there's an alternate universe where that doesn't happen and he got his original version of Justice League which would not have been four hours long because there's no way a fucking 
studio releases that as a blockbuster like film in cinema. We're only getting this because of weird factors that you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there was that narrative at the time that like release the Snyder Cut became a thing where it was like. Yeah, it's done. Just like there's yeah. a cut out there without all the Joss Whedon stuff. There's a functioning movie. We'll just do that. Yeah. And loads of people were like, yeah, cool. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. of course. And then the rumors started building of like, he needs an extra 70 to $100 million to finish this movie. Like, yeah. What do you mean you need $100 million <laughs> to finish? That's an entire other movie. What are you talking about? Because, because there's a massive difference between like an initial uh, assembly cut of like, here are all the scenes in order in a rough edit like especially with a modern superhero blockbuster a lot of fucking post post production stuff that happens and editing and refining etc as we'll get into um but when justice league the original the, the whedon league kind of shat the bed and it made like this is the film that like you say batman and superman are the biggest superheroes out there this has those two plus a bunch of other superheroes and it made the least amount of money so far for a DC extended universe film. So Warner Brothers had to kind of scramble and they basically they gave up having aesthetic consistency. Um, Suicide Squad kind of still falls into a Zack Snyder mode, but that a that kind of works for that film. You want a kind of dark, sarcastic tone to it. Um, it's a little bit more pop art friendly but you know but like matt says shazam aquaman these films do not feel like they belong a to the Zack snyder universe or b to a consistent <coughs> world and that's fine it makes it harder perhaps to do these big crossovers well, but... that's how comics work at the end of the day <laughs> yeah exactly like comics have different artists and feel very different and you know you can you can read a bunch of dc comics and they can all feel incredibly different and have some have a certain kind of house style to them and some have a real strong vision of you know particular choices but they can still all team up at the end of the day it just <laughs> yeah so it was it's interesting to watch how warner brothers have had to kind of adapt and change their plans and then obviously this is the realization of the people who really did like Zack snyder aesthetic choices when they saw that things like Shazam and Aquaman and Birds of Prey were coming out that didn't match that felt betrayed by Warner Brothers because it was like it was I mean like you say the company changes direction because they try and judge where the most money is and they had realized that okay having everything locked into this grim and gritty mode doesn't work because we turn off a certain amount of the audience so they made the purely financial decision of, okay, well, we won't try and have everything in that mode. We'll just make, we'll make the damn films. <laughs> and we'll f each film will have the tone that it requires. Um, but obviously some people would like a universe operating on Zack Snyder rules. And I think this is where it comes down to it, because as I mentioned earlier, pressure, in addition mm -hmm. to sycophancy. And it... it... <sighs> There's always fan campaigns. There's always ideas and from both sides. So you get, for example, something we like, like Blade Runner. And we're like, no, I want to see the best cut of Blade Runner. I want you, you, you studio evil villain bastard who gave this thing money and, and life in the first place. 
your interference ruined it. I want to see the best version. And Warner Brothers does this quite a lot, it seems. Um, they'll be like, you know, what, what should be an embarrassment, openly admitting that they kind of pranged it the first time around. But then they'll say, actually, you know what? Yeah, that's fine. We'll, 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 we'll release another cut. We'll do another version. Because they know full well, for that small demographic, or whatever that niche community is, it will sell. In the same way that you can release a DVD and someone might pick it up maybe, or they'll rather stream it, but you can also release a Blu-ray special limited edition at £90. And again, some of those fuckers are going to buy it because that's their particular niche. And it's like, well, we'll make money off this demographic. Why don't we just appeal to everybody? And that's, that's, that's just business acumen. That's being smart. Um, so when they realized there was a, a hunger for this, a, a, an actual supply and demand need for this, um, like, oh, there is an audience. I mentioned earlier about the whole, like, oh, we're now going to show you all the, our next 10-year plan. It's going to be this, this, and this. And oh my God, none of it came to fruition because that's exactly how filmmaking works, um, unfortunately. And because of that, we ended up with this campaign of release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut. Um, and it wasn't just coming from the director and a handful of actors. It wasn't just coming from the fan base. It was coming from a lot of very coordinated uh, shall we say fan engagement um, slash trolling and bullying? I was going to say engagement is a very nice way of putting it. I think because it yes. got it got pretty toxic pretty quickly. Precisely, and and Twitter is pretty notorious for that kind of thing for for hashtags and and all that kind of stuff really kicking off and becoming negative and toxic and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like we haven't seen anything like this. The only thing I can think of to compare it to, and this is a much smaller scale, is Mass Effect 3, when the ending to that video game happened and EA and Bioware had to deal with, oh, we fucked up the ending, we now need to remake this ending of this mm -hmm. video game because everybody is upset. And they actually went back and was like, oh, yeah, sure, we'll have to... And they actually did. And there was a, kind of a bit of backlash from people saying, like, you know you don't need to listen to these people. <laughs> yeah. Like... That's not always necessarily that the customer isn't always right. You don't need to change just because you fucked up an ending and be like, well, move on to the next thing mm -hmm. is kind of the, the outlook for most people. Most people don't get a chance to go back and don't get a chance to say, oh, yeah, we're going to remake this. And we're going to spend a few extra million dollars or 70 to 100 million dollars in the terms of uh, Warner Brothers mm. and, and redo the ending in that same way. And I'm sure it happens. And like we said, this is the kind of shit that happens behind the scenes all the time. And this is very rarely comes out into the public in a in a such a driven, mm. powerful campaign as the the Snyder Cut did. Mm. And it's it's about the changing nature of fan engagement as well, just as a as a culture. Since social media has kind of taken mm. off, there has been uh, an increase in fan. Uh, uh, there's it's broken down the barrier between fans and creators to a certain degree. And that has led to a rise in fans feeling justified, feeling that the, the creators are beholden to them. To oh, give yeah. them feeling entitled. Yes. I think yes. entitled Enti is the right word I would think of. Yeah. And, you know, you can go back and you can look at stuff from earlier days of the internet, like campaigns to, oh, save Firefly or save Chuck. You know, I remember being a one uh, yeah. back in the, the early 2000s. Oh, I liked Chuck back in the day which tended to be that uh, a show exists, but we know it's on the bubble of getting cancelled, so let's really show our support for it. That tended to be it. This is the most notable version of, like, 
there, as we said, there was an assumption during the early days that a basically finished film existed somewhere in the WB vaults, and certainly this was the this was the initial claim by people who were very vocal looking for the Snyder Cut. Because because that's what it was always. It was release the Snyder Cut as if it was a thing that could literally just be put online or put into cinemas. Was basically done, but WB, for whatever reasons, were deciding to hold it back. We now know that wasn't the case. It wasn't sitting there finished and ready to go. But no. the, as, as the campaign progressed and as it gained traction, the narrative shifted slightly as people realized like, well, okay, no, it's maybe not going to, but, but he should have the opportunity to finish it, et cetera, et cetera. And it became a question of a, like a director's cut thing rather than just this film is sitting somewhere waiting to be shown. Um, but it, like we say, it speaks to the, the entitlement of fans that they feel that they are owed this because the, the, the kimono has been parted in terms of film production. We see a lot more <laughs> than we used to do in terms of the background wheeling and dealings. I mean, we even see like castings revealed through set photos and stuff like that. Can you imagine that happening like 30, 40 years ago and it being on like the front news of like front page of a newspaper? Like Kate Bishop is cast. <laughs> Haley Steinfeld plays new Hawkeye. Extra, extra, Haley Steinfeld plays Hawkeye. Like, that never happens. But now we see these, like, low res, like, some paparazzi or some fan poked the head over a fence somewhere and was like, she, she dressed like Kate Bishop. Oh, my God. And then they take the photo and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, we, we really are further behind the scenes than, and part of that process. And we see more of it through social media and stuff like that than we ever have done before. Mm. That's partly because of the evolution of, I mean, the, the, you know, scumbag journalists are still scumbag journalists. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's just the fact that celebrity is no longer the actor. Celebrity is the character now. Um, mm. In the sense that we don't really, it's like, oh, oh, did you see that Jamie Lee Curtis was having a, a bath? Oh, thank you. The nineties and eighties. It's like, did you see Jamie Lee Curtis has been cast as this so-and-so character? Oh, shit, that's really interesting. It's the same grubby, nothing, pigeon feed, like, we've got nothing here to actually go on, but we'll generate us some, some clickbait content because it's just it's changed to an online format rather than a rather than a, a, a paper hard copy format, as it were. Um, but again, I think we've I think we kind of the whole umbrella of this whole point of this 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 first chapter is the industry did what the industry always does. It pivoted mid-flow and fucked itself. And while, rather than just moving on and saying, no, nah, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, fucking move on, move on, they listened to a very, very loud and, and, and slightly rabid fan base at times uh, and said, fuck it. And not because they're like, oh, we must do the right thing, the whatever the fuck, we must honor the vision, blah, blah, blah. No, they thought we can make some fucking money out of this. And that was it. Oh, we have something else. We, we have something that we can actually upscale um, and resell. That's a, that's a deal for us. That's easy. And they oh, but then what if we? It comes out looking bad for us. Like we made a mistake in the first place. Don't worry because we just fired all the execs a few while ago. A few while ago, a little while ago. It's you know, it's the rotation of of top management. The Stalin's general sort of mindset. Well, that was me. That was the other guy. Um, and and <laughs> we'll we'll have this again. They'll they'll. But as we'll come back to later, the question isn't so much like really anything to do with this film at all. This this film is the start of it. Because if you feed a stray cat, there are suddenly 10 stray fucking cats. 
And that's not a bad thing because, you know, look after cats. <laughs> but, I, but I like cats, Matt. Don't, don't equate it <laughs> yeah. to cats. Well, the cats are money in this case. And Warner Brothers is like, give me all that fucking stray cats. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to do anything. I'll just put the saucer of milk out. Um, so, so yeah, it, it is a question. If this thing got made because someone thought they could make some money, and they did. Um, but And perhaps most importantly, we talked recently about films going to streaming services and that yeah. kind of stuff. It's not necessarily about it making money. It was about driving subscribers to HBO Max because yeah. that is the the deal that WB had with HBO Max. It's a very controversial deal. Some filmmakers are really not happy about it, and the, the similar kind of filmmakers who don't particularly like films coming out on streaming services and then being you know qualified for the the Oscars and all that kind of stuff. Sure, but it's twenty twenty one. There's a fucking pandemic that's been going on for a year now. Cinemas have basically been closed globally for about a year, mm. give or take a couple of weeks here and there. So tough shit. Things have to come out eventually, and they can't just everything just can't sit on the shelf. And then suddenly, mm. there's a, there's a new Warner Brothers movie every week in 2023. Mm. Like that's not well, how because people wouldn't go to see every film, and then you'd be cannibalizing your own audience and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So they kind of forced their hand. It was like fuck it, we're gonna put Godzilla versus Kong and uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and Mortal Kombat coming up soon. Yeah, exactly. Mm. All this kind of stuff. I, I, I want to just jump in on this very quickly because I think it's, it's pertinent to the whole thing. Because most importantly, things like The Irishman and Zack Snyder's Justice League are long. And I don't <laughs> have a problem with that personally. I feel a film is as long as it needs to be. Now, we'll come back to later. This film did not need to be this long, but that's not the point. We, we certainly will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the fact that even, even now, if you're an independent filmmaker such as myself and you are releasing a short film, whatever it is, there are strict guidelines about how long the film needs to be. And even then they say, oh, a short film is only under 45 minutes. They don't mean that. They mean nine minutes. Make it nine minutes. Um, why? Because we want to fit as many of these fuckers in as we can. And we may give like maybe a 16 minute runtime to something that happens to star Judy Dench or something as a, you know, a small throwaway thing. And it's incredibly frustrating because as we know from when we covered the London Film Festival online, festival scheduling is a bit of an archaic thing. And taking up cinema screen time is a strange, archaic thing. So you can't release things over or under this. We want it to be at least two hours long, but not over two and a half hours or something like that. It's a, a sort of peak audience thing. But also, it occupies screens enough from the competition while giving them enough time for themselves. Blah, 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 blah. Now, this is what I'm going to say. I love, and I cannot stress this enough, love the cinema. This last year has been very difficult <laughs> really? for me. Uh, for those of you who are new listeners, Matt go, traditionally would go to the cinema, cinema what, three to five times a week? Arguably, yes. Every week for the last 20 years? Pretty much. Give or take? Pretty, like, much, pretty much. It sounds like I'm taking the piss here, but like th that, is, that is pretty accurate. And there, I, I would argue there are a few people I've ever met who enjoy cinema more than Matthew Stogden. Yeah, the ritual <laughs> of it all is just as important as the actual feature that I'm watching. And it's a very strange thing because it is fleeting. It's not like theatre where you like if you didn't catch it in that one time, it's gone. And this is where this is where I'm going to tie this into Justice League. Don't worry. But people do say, "Oh no, no, no! Cinema needs to thrive." Cinema thing. And it's always interesting because if you're if you're outside the industry, and I do mean the upper echelons of the movie industry or the film distribution industry via cinema screens and things and chains and so on and so forth, there is almost no stakes for you personally, in the sense that. People feel it's a hassle to go to cinema. They feel it's more expensive. I think it's the cheapest thing you can do inside for two and a half hours. It's brilliant. Um, outside of going to a museum. And 
I was going to say, there's a bunch of stuff that's free, Matt, but sure. <laughs> that's, yeah, but that's a net, this is a cost. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is that um, it, people say like, oh, it, hmm. I mean, I would have loved to have seen certain films. I saw uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. I would love to have seen that in the cinema personally, but its final destination is your TV screen because of streaming and home media. So the fact that it's almost rushed to that conclusion, does it matter too much is the question. My argument is yes, I want to keep cinema alive as long as possible. I think it's, even if cinema doesn't benefit me, because of these people clogging the fucking very, very narrow bottleneck that is cinema. And like, the well, Suez Canal of cinema, if you will. Yeah, precisely. It's, it's just a thing that you can't... <laughs> it's a thing whereby you just can't get in. And it's like, oh, I'd, I'd love to rent out a screen for a day and show my, my movie to my friends. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Can you give us what we would have made off these other movies? Well, no, of course not. I don't have that. Can you sell out a 900-seat screen? No, because it's for my, I mean, maybe like a couple hundred people, friends and family, then you can fuck off. And it's like, <laughs> oh, so it's not really like, it's, it's, it's like, you know, the future rich mindset. I want to support something that is in no way supporting me. But at the same time, this whole like, oh, it didn't go in the cinema. It went straight to HBO Max is a problem. It's like, no, it, if you want people to see it, they can watch it. But I know that's a very contentious and hotly debated thing. So I will, I will leave that for now. It's, it's only really a problem. Like, this film would never have been released in the cinemas because it wouldn't have been yeah. economical for them to do that. A four-hour film would never... They would, It wouldn't have sold enough tickets. And... Uh, yeah, I, b I believe there's a threshold in length that a film needs to be in order to get a certain amount of screenings in per day, yeah. per screen, to yeah. justify its existence in a cinema or something like that. And four hours is over that fucking <laughs> line. Surprise, yeah. surprise. Um, but also, and we'll get into this, Having it on home media wouldn't have mattered that much. It wouldn't have made much of a difference. Except Zack Snyder decided to put it in ball three. Yeah, yeah. That segues us quite nicely into this next chapter, which is chapter two, the age of sequels. Which is us talking about the, the Snyder age, the, the vision of a certain Mr. Snyder. And let's start off with that. Tim, because the opening fucking frame of this streaming service experience is this film was presented in four three to preserve is it the the vision and the integrity of the director Zack Snyder or some something along sure, those lines? Sure. Fuck all the way off, Zack Snyder, you pretentious asshole. <laughs> as my first angry Jack moment, I've kept it pretty cool so we've far. Been, we've been mellow. We've been we've been <laughs> analytical. We don't we're not like rabid. Clickbait nonsense. We are literally. I'm, I'm just not. Being... I'm not zero to sixty. I'm building no, myself no, no, no. up there. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. It's a slow but run. That makes sense. If, and I mean if, he had intended to release this in an IMAX context, because the bigger screen, the whole thing. Sure, you can kind of get away with it, and you know, so, some films alternate between IMAX mm -hmm. and and the standard widescreen format and you literally get the like the the curtains that move in the cinema like oh oh it's a little bit of IMAX <laughs> moment and then it, oh it comes back down again and the little black bars shrink back down again and then, oh there's an there's the bit oh Christopher Nolan <laughs> shot this bit in IMAX oh no no we're back to widescreen again sure fine I get it you can shoot a film in IMAX that's fine don't then put it out onto wide release in people's TVs which are universally widescreen and have been for about 25 years. <laughs> we're not watching this on fucking 4.3 CRTs, are we, Zach? No, we're not. Some people are. I'm sure they are. 
but they're not the majority of fucking people who have an HBO Max subscription. If you have a CRT fucking TV, you don't have HBO Max probably because that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so who is this for? Why would you do this? I'm sat here watching, and my TV's like normal white. It's not anything crazy, but there's these giant fucking black bars on Eastern. I watched it on my phone just to see what it was like, because <laughs> to preserve the original vision and integrity of Zack Snyder, <laughs> to watch it on the smallest screen I could find, because fuck you, Zack Snyder. <laughs> I'm getting fired up, see? Um, and my phone is particularly large. It's a um, S21 Ultra, which is very long, very widescreen. And it's like the middle, like third of the screen is this little thing known as Zack Snyder's Justice League playing on the Now TV app. And it made no sense. What a weird idea. And I can't believe some people are like, well, yeah, obviously it preserves his original vision. It's like, oh, ah. he didn't he didn't even shoot it on IMAX. There we go, yeah. Tim. Thank yeah. you. Yes. So we we got to talk about something that's going to be a uh, bit of a fucking uh, lecture here, and I apologise in advance, but it's going to be quite informative. Edutainment, if you will. We need to talk about aspect ratios. Now, whenever a cinematographer starts banging on about this stuff, they get very, very geeky and very into it, and that's fine. That's yeah, fine. sound like a 36.5 over 1.4, <laughs> please. You're like, what the fuck does that? Yeah. Is that blood pressure? What are you talking about? <laughs> But it is actually integral to how film has evolved and how we present things to each other, etc. So, when I was a kid, all I knew was that if I saw black bars at the top of my, you know, square TV, that the film was showing me less film because it took up less of my television. This was obviously a fallacy. This was incorrect. I was wrong as a child because I was a child. But I thought, I can't see it because it's a small fucking 15-inch TV in the fucking late 80s, early 90s. And this film is squidged. So you have what's called pan and scan. So you're like, how do we fit this all in? Well, we'll digitally go back and just whip back and forth and just slide the image back and forth like <laughs> a fucking runner. So you can like, oh, hang on, this person's talking. <laughs> anyway, so there are arguably four different aspect ratios that we need to know about. One, four, three, four, Colon three. Four three is what your old TVs look back in the 90s. It is almost exactly a box. It's a rectangle, but it's mostly a boxy looking thing. It is it's as close to a square as you're gonna get. Precisely, yeah. Because four it, it's literally the measurements of like four across and then three down. That's the the, mm, the, the mm. ratios of the two sides of the screen to build the square slash rectangle. Yeah. And 35 millimeter film, which is what people shoot on, uh obviously before digital, uh, was 3-2. This isn't the second one. This is part part B of the second, first one. Right. Because I, Of course you said, yeah, there's, there's the three we need to talk about. You can talk about seven of them. Yeah, yeah. But the reason I'm bringing that one up is because when you had films like that, it was like, oh, it's kind of the same sort of box. It's why TVs are the way they shape they are most of the time, aren't they? Yeah. Then you had the evolution of what's called HDTV and widescreens and stuff. And widescreen is 16-9. So that's obviously a long, thin rectangle. And 16.9 is the most common format you will see. It's what most YouTube Ch videos Chances are, are listeners, the TV in your living room is 16 by 9. Yeah, your computer, your laptop, your phone, your laptop your TV. monitor, yeah. Your, yeah, your your 
computer monitor, your laptop screen, all that kind of stuff. Precisely, because 4.3 emulates a theater. <laughs> it's like, here's the box that the theater sits in, um, the, the stage, as it were. 1690... We, li we literally mean a theater, by the way, not a cinema, oh, my apologies, but yes. like a, a, a theater. stage theater, like a, like a Broadway or a whatever. Yeah. Like Phantom of, of the yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> as in Phantom of the theater. Phantom of the theater. He haunts the theater. Anyway, so... Um, if you think about how the human eye works, we all just assume, oh yeah, it's a box. It's like if you put your fingers to the top and bottom as far as you can go on your vision, they stop quite quickly. Whereas you put them to the sides, they go for quite a while. You've you got have a, a lot of periphery vision. Yeah, yeah you have yeah. a wider spectrum looking uh, left and right than you do up and down without moving your eyes specifically. So that's the human wraparound spectrum of viewing. So obviously you'd emulate that with, with the visuals. The two other ones are tricky because they're called cinema film and cinemascope. And essentially they're sort of the same thing. It's what most films are shot in, in terms of how they're... Oh no, hang on, I should clarify that. They're what films are presented in. And that's 1.85 to 1 and 2.35 to 1. And basically what that means is they're, they're a little bit longer than 16.9. 235.1 is really long stretched film. You very rarely see something shot like that because again, even on a 16.9 TV, you'll have black bars on the top of the bottom because it's such a, it just takes in so much. Are there, are there any examples you can think of, Matt? Yes. In, uh, there in are cinema. some very, very specific 235.1 films um, that are, uh, what do you call it? That are sort of- You're just Googling it. I am trying to buy myself exactly what I'm not yeah. going to get caught out by this okay. bullshit because I know uh, there's- I thought um, you'd be able to just rattle it off I the top of your head. I can, but I don't oh, want to- yes, my, fa my favorite 235 film is- <laughs> um, No, because I never want to get caught out. I don't want to go like, that Fair wasn't, enough. that you'd, wasn't- you'd, you'd, get the, you'd get the nerds. The nerds, on the, you. they're coming. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that that's um, the anamorphic look is, is, is uh, things like Hamlet, for example, but I want to make sure. Things like, weirdly enough, 1917 recently we shot in that very wide format that make, that makes sense 21 yeah. jump street oddly enough 300 yeah. that's the makes less, yeah. less sense it's it's when you get to the the one that's very rarely used hamlet for example the 1996 kenneth branagh one is shot in what's called 70 millimeters prints and they are so wide it's 221 and it's like this really long thin film and it's amazing because it gives this real big cinematic ben hur kind of shit going on and you'd cut so much of the frame out in order to show it on a television normally but it, it's it's still you know it's 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 a, it's, it's a visionary choice basically. It can, if you see it in the proper format in a proper cinema, it can be very bold, and very striking. Now, what I was getting back to was what things are shot on that thirty-five millimeter mindset, the three-two, that that box I was talking about earlier. Most films are shot in a square format, sort of like IMAX, basically, um, and then in post you put you crop it, you squidge it back into what it needs to be. This is why when um, you get a re-release of a TV series like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and they're like, oh, we're going to use all of the formats. Like, don't use that. We hid the camera guy there for a reason because we knew we'd crop it later. <laughs> don't do that. It's stupid. Don't use the original fucking footage. You crop it for a reason. Um, and I remember seeing this on like, you know, uh, you, you, when you film with a, a big expensive camera, you see this square image and then you've got these marker tapes, either, you know, people have the, on the view screen, they'll ever have like, tape where they've put it on the screen to look actually looks like but it's finally in the proper format or there'll be an actual uh like a ghost runner sort of guide of what it will look like when you've got it cropped down accordingly it obviously means that in post you can move things around up left right whatever it needs to be in, and frame it accordingly but it's a weird one because if you take a picture on your phone and, and phones do this now quite a lot by the way a lot of you might have this if you take a picture it's probably in 4.3 format because of instagram 
which is a very popular format right now in aspect ratios of photographs. And then you have the option to make it 169 if you want to. So if you so if for example, um as I mentioned Jack's phone earlier, his camera, the default, the biggest setting you get, the most megapixels, is a box. And then if you say, right, okay, I want to edit this photograph to 16.9 and it will move it around saying, well, what do you want the top, the bottom, the middle? What do you want with this? Where, where do you want it? That's basically film editing. That's what this thing is. So Zack Snyder shooting this, or re sorry, releasing this in 4.3 feels to me like one of two things. One, it's a work print. <laughs> it's not done. <laughs> Which is not well, there was a bit, there was big controversy about that, right? Yes. Because yes. with the trailers and some of the footage that had leaked, there I can't remember. There was a guy on Twitter, and, and the three of us talked about this quite extensively in our chat as well, where he talked about like there's a bunch of weird aspect ratio shit going on in these trailers. Yeah. Like some of this stuff is in four three, some of it is sixteen nine, some of it's in some other thing that you've there was like a one six four by sure, one sure. and all this shit that people had never heard of, including like the rounded corners of the actual film. Like that's not a thing that is just left on when films come to the cinema. You don't actually take the full screen from the, the actual printed film where it rounds off at the edges mm -hmm. and just stick that on the screen. <laughs> Cause people will be like, why, why is my big rectangle slash square TV have these little rounded corners? Mm -hmm. Cause that's not a thing that's done. And it was changing from scene to scene and frame to frame. Mm -hmm. In incredibly, like, if you're paying attention to it, it's incredibly jarring and weird. Mm. And then it comes out, it's like, yeah, it's 4 3, because he did it for IMAX. Like, did he, though? Eh. Even if you have, like, a film that is like, oh, I've got uh, The Dark Knight and I've got my Blu ray and it's got IMAX scenes, and I can tell because the bars disappear and it fills the screen. It's like, yes and no. It's, <laughs> it's still cropped for your television. It's, yeah, because it's not going to have what an actual like flitting back and forth from a sixteen nine to a four three. It, it would basically like sick. it would basically zoom out. Yeah, <laughs> and then zoom back in. Yeah, and then zoom out, then zoom back in, and you just get like motion sickness. Precisely, it'd be like too that. much to keep up with. It's it's not palatable unless you shoot the whole thing in IMAX. Like, um, I'm pretty sure it was nineteen seventeen shot in tiny IMAX. I'm not sure I remember. I believe so. Yeah, yes, that that feels appropriate. And they've obviously they've, they've cropped it for the for the for the for the film release for for home media. Now. That's not a bad thing. That's that's what it is. But that's like, thing number one. He it's just because it shows it's a, a an unfinished movie. That's not the case. Thing number two. Wes Anderson, with wow, here we here we go. Grand Budapest Hotel uses different aspect ratios to tell different eras of his story. It's a Which very makes sense. It's a very clever thing to do. Yeah. Robert Eggers with uh, the lighthouse, all in black and white, all in four three. Artistic choice, very much a thing. Intentional. I mean, I mean, there's a black and white Snyder cut coming soon as well. So he's basically Robert Eggers, is what we're learning here. Get the fuck <laughs> I, out of my face! I son. did I knew, actually I knew I could hear get you that one. there was a quote somewhere where he said he was inspired by uh, Kelly Reinhardt. Oh, um, who most recently did First Cow, um, yeah, which was released in I think four three. Um, it's a good film. I'm yeah, I'm not sure how I'm up. He he also said he was inspired by uh, he wanted to make a, a um, Seven Samurai and I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's three hours long. <laughs> like like Ghost of Tsushima with its Kurosawa mode, the video game where you can turn it all black and white and like grainy and yeah, stuff yeah. and Japanese dialogue and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, that's cool if it's a thing you can like toggle between to be like, oh, that is cool. <laughs> now now back to my HD graphics yeah. and my colors and stuff. Zack Snyder's like, nah. 
Oh, I'm going to do it. And this is the thing. I think it's just a case of like, oh, people think this is arty and clever. And I, and this is the thing. Zack Snyder is a photographer first, in my opinion. And I mean, no, not not in your opinion. That's a fact. Yes. He was he was a photographer before yeah. he directed movies. But even then, I think he still looks at the photograph first. <laughs> He's always talking about, oh, I've leaked this picture of the of them in the in, in the suit, and I've done it. I've I've I I I Zack Snyder have gone to Photoshop and I have edited. It's, it's like he doesn't have a cinematographer. He's never worked with the DP. It's just like it's me, me, and more me. <laughs> it's all me. Um, and that's not. I, I think it's just like stuff. That's that all look cool. That look class. That look interesting, unique, and it'll stand out. And it's like. And, and Tim mentioned earlier, the aesthetic mindset. <clears throat> Granted, it'll be an aesthetic, but it's one you... And this is the thing, I always feel it's unnecessary to say, you, artist, justify your choices. No, I don't have to. That's not, my, that's not my job. My job is to give you something that you can engage with and experience and feel something. So in that essence, he has done his job. The problem is, the very tall images that he has gone for do not necessarily suit the very wide images that his action is trying to put across. There's just a bunch of headroom and a bunch of shots. <laughs> when the Justice League, when, again, by the way, full spoilers for the Snyder cut and all that shit. If you got this far and you haven't already realized that, we go generous. Yeah. The, the bit where Superman comes back and they fight near the memorial and stuff, there's just like four foot of headroom and then it does the it does the kind of classic pan across the league like oh there's flash there's wonder woman there's batman there's aquaman cyborgs hanging out there yeah cool oh, cyborgs arms doing the thing and it cuts across the, the the group of them it's like i could just see the background it's just like a bunch of buildings but you're not adding anything to the frame or anything to the scene it doesn't contribute anything arguably either positively or negatively mm. it's just kind of there and i am i am very very convinced he just did it because he could, because yeah. a he had full creative control on this project, and when else are you ever going to get that in Hollywood? Basically, it's basically impossible these days without the executives, as we discussed in the original 2017 version, getting their grubby little fingers all over it and changing mm -hmm. things. And oh no, this needs to be done, and we need to appeal to the Chinese audience, so change this and all this political bollocks and religious bollocks yes. and all this kind of stuff that happens in the background, and of course capitalism. But he did it because it seems arty and it seems clever and he'll never be able to do it again. It, so, yeah. fuck it. Why it, not? I can get away with it. There are so many choices in this film. And like you say, Matt, it's not the job of an artist to explain why they've made certain choices. But we have all watched a fair amount of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and so you understand, like, okay, the director, cinematographer, etc., etc., have made these choices to have this effect. And there are so many things in this film where I'm like, I don't know why you have made this decision. I, I, I couldn't agree more, I Tim. cannot yeah. tell what kind of effect. We'll get into this more later when we talk about the specific differences between the Whedon and the, and the, the Snyder cut. But, but there's so many moments where I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I can't tell what, what emotion are you trying to make? Like, what? Why? I'll why give you is that? Why? Tim. It's dark, dark and gritty. That's the emotion he's trying to convey. Seriousness and grit. Everyone's a god. Fuck the humans. That's what he's trying to do. I, I just want to, just to, to finish off on the frame before we get to characters. There is a quite a lot of gaslighting going on here. There's quite a lot of, oh, no, no, no. It, 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 that was my plan all along. That's what I meant to happen. Mm. Um, and that sort of last minute adjustment because, okay, 
just last minute here from a directing point of view, talk about framing. Um, with this aspect ratio thing. You talk about the scene where Kalel, no! And um, um, oh, God. And everyone was convinced that was a Justice, uh, a Joss Whedon additional. It's like, oh, it's terrible. A perfect example of the awful things. Oh, it's from the original. There are a bunch of lines in there that not only people had assumed, but I had assumed. I'd assumed a lot of Whedon stuff was in there. Yeah. That would be Whedon lines. So, like, there's weird, clunky dialogue yeah. and bullshit. I'm like, oh, no, wait. Zack Snyder has weird, clunky bullshit dialogue mm. and a bad sense of humor as well. Brilliant. Well, not frustrating. Some of the best parts of the movie that I enjoyed were Snyder stuff, but we'll come back to that later. So framing. Yeah. You can tell this was never a plan <laughs> because you take that scene alone where all of them are lined up facing against a, a, a resurrected Superman or when they've just, they're on top of a chimney stack for, for reasons and there's a lot of just standing around. Standing around, around and we'll, they're standing we'll in a row this, and there's, hands across them. There's so much just posing yeah. with stuff. I'll stand on the corner of a building for 90 seconds. Like, okay, cool. This, this is going to be a, what, six, seven seconds? Sh- no, it's still going. Yeah. Still going. Oh, the music's back. Okay, we're still going. So. Uh, and we're still going. <laughs> Fuck me. So the idea of framing, if you're, if you're shooting a scene with um, one person, and you're shooting in a wide format. And again, if you want to just do it with your phone or camera or, or just your hands over your eyes, what you want to do, and you're like, I can fit in all this space. You, so many talented directors have used that space for dread, foreboding, isolation, whatever you want to do, because it's one person. And if you think, actually, I, don't, I want the person to look like they were surrounded and more happy and we don't want to worry about the space between them, you go much closer into a close-up and you fill their face. But obviously, because of the nature of it being a long, flat image, you don't get the whole body in, so you have to crop either the top of the head or maybe the shoulders of mid shot, whatever it needs to be to, to convey what you're doing. This is, this is literally DP and directing 101. Where do I put the camera? Where do I put the person? Now, 4.3 has its advantages. If you take something like an older film like Seven Samurai or, or literally anything fucking shot in the 40s and 50s, or alternatively, something like, let's say The Lighthouse. It's two men in a cramped environment. You can make it a very interesting visual because no longer the sides of the frames are relevant it's not the 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 background it's not the setting it's the person it's that vision straight in front of you it's the towering it suddenly makes um willem dafoe giving this huge awesome curse a towering thing he is suddenly this this he fills the screen despite you know He's not like an enormous wide man with his hands out like fucking Freddy running down an alleyway. Ah! No, it's it's he he fills the screen because it's it's a box. And then you see, you know, uh Robert Patterson on the floor. He has nowhere to go. He is cowering because he fills that box. You don't see an exit because there is no exit on screen. If you have, however, something like the Justice League all lined up together as a unified force, as a uh a a, a strong chain, a presence. 4-3 doesn't lend itself to that. You have a long, wide shot to say, look at this grandiose, massive scale. Look at all these things. Look at all my friends, all my stuff on the screen. That's what a 16-9 does. That's, what, that's the benefit of it. And even if you're doing like a, a 1917, where you're like, I want to show the battlefield of World War I. Yeah, because up, down, left, right is war. It's everywhere. It's inescapable. And if you look at the two juxtaposition between the Justice League lining up against Superman, Superman looks quite small when he's in the middle on his own, and the Justice League look like quite strong because there's lots of them. Whereas if all the scenes that are filmed after, I'm going to definitely do this in four three, Darkseid, Desaad, 
old space witch lady, I can't remember the name of, Granny Space Lady. Granny goodness. That fucking sake. And um and all the army of parademons all lined up. It's framed like a sort of almost like a like a church window, that big strong central image two at the side. You get this sort of rippling impression of what's behind him. That looks good because that's designed for fucking four three. <laughs> if you'd done it in widescreen, it would look just as good because it's the kind of thing that works quite well. But Dark Side wouldn't have looked as towering because he doesn't feel as much of the, the whole thing they did in the trailer is like over the ashes to dust and afterlife and blah 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 anti-life equation. That's all cool because he literally fills the fucking screen. He looks terrifying and it's brilliant. However, this movie did not have that vision from day one. So what you end up with is this very bipolar, back and forth, confused movie. And that is everything about this movie. Which, which is the biggest problem with the 2017 version as well. Precisely. Somehow this film has swapped like the, the tone, like whiplash that we had on the first one from... The, the deadly serious Snyder stuff to the japes and, and, and frolicking Fall on the titties! Of, of Joss and sexism. Let's not talk about Joss Whedon because we're going to be in a whole other podcast about that. But yeah, that, that was kind of the, the, the biggest changes there. And then this runs into a similar problem where it's like, okay, so you're essentially swapping between these aspect ratios without consciously swapping between these aspect ratios. And I think enough of the viewers don't know about aspect ratios. I, I'm I'm not claiming to be any expert myself. I just happened to look this stuff up sure. because it, it they were talking about it on Twitter, basically. Enough of the viewers won't notice any of this shit. They don't notice an extra three feet of headroom above Wonder Woman because it's, it's just background. You're looking at Wonder Woman and people don't notice, you know. But you still you still absorb it. You still... It still yeah, has subconsciously something feels off. Yeah. yeah. I would argue some people consciously ignore that, but yes, that's true. <laughs> but we should shift from the technical because we, what we're trying to point out here, I know this isn't the meat and potatoes of what people want to talk about because we're going to be getting to the characters in a second. What people want to talk about is that, but what we need to talk about is how it's presented. Yeah. In the same way yeah. that music and slow motion are used at different times to accentuate different things. Slow motion isn't used at different times. It's used at all the times, Matthew. <laughs> and I think that old Garth Marenghi line. There are, any line that there didn't are have 24 any... minutes of slow motion in this film. Oh, I thought it was more than that, but I know it was 10%, but still. Any, any yeah. scene that didn't have any dialogue was option for slow motion. And even then, <laughs> fuck, it might be that too. You know what needs to be slower? Underwater fighting. Oh. Thanks, Zack Snyder. Fuck's sake. Right, let's, 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 um, let's get to the characters. Let, let's, let, yeah. let's transition to, yeah, Zack Snyder's approach to these DC characters. So I coming hate from, it. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it, Tim. So coming through from basically, basically the through line from Man of Steel to Batman v Superman, kind, Suicide Squad, yeah, through to Justice League, and I guess Wonder Woman around about the same sort of time as well. It... it <laughs> It's Zack Snyder being Zack Snyder. And I've touched upon this many times. We've touched upon this many times. He has very strong views about how these characters should be presented. And basically, how all of his films are basically about the same thing. And he doesn't really stray far from that. They're all very hyper-macho, super strong. Every heroic character is incredibly... Basically, a, like a Republican wet dream. Mm -hmm. They're all super clean cut and super badass and when they do bad things they do it for all the right reasons to save god and america and all this bullshit because Zack snyder is is 
not only kind of a libertarian himself in the identifies as a libertarian he has said that in interviews i'm not portraying that um that label upon him all of his politics and all of his personal views are very much reflected in the way he characterizes the people in his films all the way through from fucking dawn of the dead to 300 to justice league which we should point out and i'm going to keep doing this every now and again just just from the from a creative point of view isn't necessarily a bad thing is that in its own again, right because every bringing your views into something precisely. is totally normal for a creative if person to do anything, of course it makes a project stronger because it makes it more personal and more real and more relatable however keep difference I love every single positive thing. So it's like, yeah, that would be a normal thing. However, <laughs> however, there is a, okay, this is, this is true of, of any form of, of, of creative endeavor. If you are contracted to do something that is not an original IP, something that is something that's shared or has stakeholders or investments. If you are saying, my name is, is Frank Miller. I am very good. I made, Batman come back from nothing and I made Daredevil out of nothing by making a Batman. Yeah, I'm great. I made Sin City on my own. I'm fantastic. I'm like, great. I love what you've done here. Fantastic. I've got a new idea for Batman. What's what's it about? He's going to go fight Al-Qaeda. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? what? Yeah, he's just going to cut their fucking faces off in America. Like like, like Michael Bay and his love of the military. Yes, basically. precisely. Because every Michael Bay film was basically a US military recruitment oh, most, video. Most definitely. <laughs> And the thing is, when you take those uh, very strong views and put them in an original property, like the 13 Days Benghazi movie, I can't remember the name of it, that Michael Bay did, or alternatively Holy Terror, which is what Frank Miller ended up doing instead because they said you can't do that with a Batman because that's our property and that's fucking crazy. They didn't sell because nobody really wanted that. They wanted Transformers. They wanted Batman. And if they had to go along with it, like, I guess this is an alternate version. I'd like to see it. Eh, it's, it's a different version. I'll take it. Um you end up with with something that's very flat by comparison because the politics on its own doesn't stand up much. So, for example, one could argue that Tim Burton's Batman is a betrayal of Batman. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But it's also some people's favourite Batman. Mm. That's not a problem. That's a studio decision to do something with the property that they own. Um, that's a normal thing. But when it comes to fan title, it's like, you can't do that. You can't just wade in. In the same way that if if somebody says, well, the next Batman movie, he's going to be incredibly PC, and I'd not use this in a derogatory sense, but in inverted commas, woke or whatever it needs to be, he's going to be a very conscious individual and a very The liberal. social justice league, am I right, Matt? <laughs> Classically, yes. He's going to have a big old star on his forehead and a fucking hammer and sickle on his heart, that dirty commie. Anyway... <laughs> If you do that, that can be an alternate version. That can be an interesting experiment. That can be a what if. That is basically what Zack Snyder had already done with what Alan Moore had already done with Watchmen. You take some characters that are already in the DCU and say, let's make them really fucking extreme. I would argue he did and didn't get them at the same time. We're not going to get into that. Um, but He fully misunderstands Watchmen, <laughs> but we're not, we're not going to get yeah. into that. But you take your own political leads, your own advice, and you put it in yourself, and it means that people who are also similarly aligned will say, this is the best thing ever. People who are like, on the other end of the spectrum will say, you have ruined the thing I like. But as always, and as we try and maintain for these things, they don't belong to you, and there's always the older versions or the newer versions coming out. It doesn't actually matter. They ruined my childhood. Precisely. Kind of stuff. Um, it's 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 genuinely not an issue. Having said that, if you are dictating the next ten years of content, 
um, which is what the plan would have been with this Snyderverse sort of stuff. You have to make sure that your political... I mean, because okay, let's just take, for example, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Without saying any spoilers about that sort of thing, there are some saying, oh, it's made it very political. Oh, I don't know if I like that. It's like, wait, wait, a show that's sort of steeped in American politics about a guy called Captain America and his black um, African-American successor. Of course it's going to be fucking political. Look around you. It's like, well, you don't have to comment on it. Like, no, we don't. I don't, don't, br don't bring politics into my comics. Yes, for fuck's sake. Cut to Captain America punching Hitler, etc. Exactly. And, yeah. and that, again, can be used very well. And some people will absolutely fucking hate it. So there is the defense of what Snyder's done with his injection of his view. The problem is, based on what the characters are about, fundamentally, that doesn't gel with all of them because they are varied. So what you end up with is a contortion to make them fit your view, to make them... Uh, it's like the Punisher. Let's have a woke version of the Punisher. It's like, I don't think that's how the Punisher works. He's meant to be a fucking unhinged dude. Who, I mean, he has his, like, you know, he's relatable, he's understandable to a degree, but he's an anti-hero. He's not going to be an Avenger. That's not how that works. Um, and it's like, yeah, that makes sense. So I, I think there is, there, is a, there is a place for it. The problem is it can't be in everything. Yeah, it, it comes back to the same thing of, these films are all full of extremely strong choices uh, for character, for aesthetic, etc. If you like it, you're going to really like it. Yeah. But the problem is, is that by doing that, you are that the people who like it are going to be a much smaller audience because it's a much stronger flavor. Marvel are very clever, whether you like them or not, because again, these are companies and they are seeking to make the most possible money. They are very clever at balancing their films because and you can tell that because there's as many people on the internet who go can't believe the latest marvel film it's basically just military recruitment like you know all these like if you dig into it like there's all these things about like how you know oh you know you need a strong man to defeat these things etc 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 and then you can go to a different part of the internet and they're going can't believe marvel they've so us sjw full of all this bullshit like can't believe it's so politically literally <laughs> captain marvel it's the whole, yeah. oh, it's just yeah. a fucking recruitment drive for the fucking Air Force. And also, oh, these fucking women are... It's like, w -w 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 hang on, what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because the executives at Marvel and the writers and stuff like that, and, and oh. it's carefully monitored at every stage of production because they make sure, okay, if you, when you go into a film with a certain political point of view, you know, as you as an audience taking a thing, you're going to be looking for the things you agree with. And we're going to make the things that you disagree with run under the surface so that uh, sort of all the political subtext and stuff is, is kind of running under the surface so that you can go in and you'll, unless you start really picking it apart, you'll only notice the things you agree with and not really notice the things you disagree with. Um, unless you're coming to it with a very critical eye kind of thing and looking for the things that you disagree with. Mm. Um, and that's why there's so much debate over, you know, people, because people take different things from it and they get, you know, they can watch a Marvel film and go like, oh, yeah, that was great. You know, I love how they, they, they showed, you know, the military being nice and, you know, strong and, you know, oh, yeah, there's some bad apples in there, but it's not the whole thing. You know, <laughs> really, you just need the, the you know, the, the good and you need to ignore the bureaucracy and, you know, give just give the commands to the, the generals. They know what's going on. 
or you have people coming in and going like, yeah, great. It's great how they showed ju- just the entire military is corrupt and um, really like they just need to dismantle it. It's like, yeah, you can take both of those things from the film because they balance it very carefully. Zack Snyder does not does not care about balance, you know. <laughs> um, Far from it. And his interpretations of the characters are all absolutely coloured by his what he wants to see in them. And like we said, there's no, there's not necessarily a problem with that. It happens with all versions of adaptation. Every creator brings stuff to it, but we as an audience are used to there being a stronger hand on the rudder that says, no, you can't like the, these films have to appeal to the broadest possible audience. And these characters, you can't have them stray too far from, what the norm has been over their 80, 90 year production history. Yeah. Um, so let's not go quite that far off the deep end. Um, let's bring it back to safer ground. And and Snyder is is not interested in that. And and some people will find that really exciting. And I personally hate it with a fiery passion. <laughs> I'm pre- pretty politically opposed to Zack Snyder and what he stands for. And something we touched upon before, and something a, a lot of video essayists and and film critics and yeah scholars and everything like that that talk about this kind of thing I've talked about is Zack Snyder's dream project, the one that he wants to make before he dies, is the Fountainhead by Iron Rand. If you don't know about Iron Rand, ladies and gentlemen, Ugh. have fun. <laughs> reading up about that basically she established this uh she's she's an author from back in the day and she wrote a bunch of books atlas shrugged the fountainhead etc and established this kind of uh way of thinking about the world called objectivism and essentially you do you for what's best for you and your family and fuck everyone else mm-hmm. is this is very very vaguely what it boils down to and that's something i hugely hugely disagree with and Ayn Rand is kind of the kind of like the heroine, the 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 pinnacle of the weird libertarian movement in America, like the intellectual Republican libertarian movement in America that's been happening over the last decade or so. People like um, Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, all these like really outspoken political people that are like for some reason supported Trump for a bit, even though you know, we won't get into all of that. However, Zack Snyder is very clearly a Rand fan and a Rand supporter and believes in all of this stuff. And basically all of his characters turn into Iron Rand characters. So Batman is like, fuck it. If there's even a 1% chance that Superman's bad, we need to we need to murder this dude. You're like, hold on, Batman. <laughs> Wait, what? There's a 1% chance that Alfred might be a dick as well. But you're, not just, you're not just murdering every... That kid might be Hitler. Better kill him. Like, wait, what? What are you talking about? That, that's terrible at gambling. What's the, what's the yeah. success ratio of this? My God, I'm a winner every time. <laughs> <laughs> there's a 30% chance I might win. I'm basically guaranteed. Oh, yeah. And, and the whole, like... So Superman, the way he's portrayed in Man of Steel and BVS is he is a god. He is not a mere mortal. And even this is reflected in one of my most hated things in Man of Steel is Jonathan Kent's maybe you should have let those kids die in that school bus. <laughs> because fuck you, Jonathan Kent, in the in that version. And that is basically like, worry about you and me and the, the, the effects that it will have on me, you and your mum more so than, oh, I don't know, doing a heroic thing and saving some kids. Because if you reveal yourself, 
bad stuff might happen to you, even though you're literally indestructible and unkillable and all that kind of stuff. And then he does like, no, 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 don't save me, son. Let me die in the tornado. But he could he could save you with that. He can move faster than anyone else can see, so he can just go and. <laughs> but uh, and I'll, it's this whole I'll like go to save the dog. <laughs> exactly, it's this hyper macho objectivist bollocks that is just seeped and if you're aware of it it is impossible to unsee because i didn't know much about ayn rand i kind of been introduced to it through some video games and some books i'd read and stuff that 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 play on it in some ways bioshock infinite is another example that plays on um randism and objectivism and all this kind of stuff as well but once you've seen it in Zack snyder's work you realize that basically take batman v superman you've got batman you've got superman you've got lex luther they basically all have the same objective and they are essentially, for all intents and purposes, the same character. <laughs> but for some reason, all three are against each other. And you're like, you all have the same plan and the same... What? What? If, none of you have anything good to say about the world or anyone else and you all hate each other and all the other people. So why are you here? Why do you care? Why do you care about anything? And I have that question about basically every Zack Snyder character. It's like, well, why are you here? I need to save the world. Why? You didn't before, and you won't again, and you chose not to previously, so what's the fucking point? And the way Zack Snyder portrays... Superman is, li is literally Jesus, by the way. He, he does, like, very crucifix things. There's some symbolism and... that you might not have. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Throughout Zack so Snyder's I, I, I should clarify. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Sorry, I, I, I overstepped the mark there. There's some very subtle Christian sim symbolism and, and fuck it, he's Jesus. And he like float when there's the flood and he floats down and like saves people. He's he's burning in the oil rig and he's just this the most manliest man. Henry Cavill is just fucking ripped to the nines, hairy chest, covered in flames, and not once, not once does anybody say, Thanks, Superman. You're the best. Not none of this Christopher Reeve, thanks for saving the cat out of the tree type bullshit. None of this wholesome, oh, thanks him. Super, he's a real hero, isn't he? What a lovely guy Superman is. So he comes back and he's like, nobody said thanks, fuck them all. I'll let them all die. And like, wait, what? I'm sure they did. You just, Zack Snyder just cut before those guys said thank you. But no, 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 he just floats down, he's a god, and then he floats off again. It's like, or maybe you should have stuck around for like eight more seconds. They'd have been like, oh my God, you saved my family, Superman. Thank you so much. He doesn't interact with humans. He just interacts with the other bad guys and the other Kryptonians. He basically doesn't say a word to another human outside of the named characters that we know of. Lois, his mum, Perry White, etc. And then the same happens again in Justice League. He's just a god that just appears, kills a bad dude, and it's like, well, it turns out I'm good now because I've got a mum. You know? Didn't we already address this with the Martha stuff? Isn't this basically... Oh, my God. No, no. Now I love Lois, and that's different. That's still you just protecting yours, you and yours. That's not a bigger picture. Oh, I better come back to save the world. No, I better come back to save this woman I've known for, like, nine months, I guess. Oh, well. Fuck this version of Superman. I remember very distinctly being a teenager and I'd, I'd read uh, Atlas Shrugged because I had a really cool deco cover on it and I hated it. And I remember just repeating verbatim the line that Officer Barbarity said in South Park, which is, yes, at first I was happy to be learning how to read. It seemed exciting and magical. But then I read this, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. I read every last word of this garbage and because of this piece of shit, I'm never reading again. And I was like, yep, that's how I feel now. What an absolute piece of trash. However, I very much 
from 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 the earliest days of the DCEU in its current form have been trying to give it the benefit of the doubt because the analysis could be interesting. And I gave too much credence to something that was not interesting at all. So effectively speaking, Jonathan Kent, shall I let those kids die? Uh, maybe. No, not maybe. No, you shouldn't. No, you know, people should pull themselves up by their own socks. And if they don't uh, look out for their own, and they don't support themselves, then not get my mum. Why should which I Which is exactly the Republican libertarian yeah, yeah. thing of like, why should I pay for you my can't labor? cancel all the student debt because I had student debt and that's not fair on mm. me. Like, I don't want better for my kids. Yes. I want my kids to suffer like I yeah. did. Now, you could make that a genuinely interesting analysis because the film yeah, technically does. You really could. It just doesn't talk about it. So technically, here's the, here's the thing. <laughs> the film could be, Jonathan Kemp believes that humans are savage and unpredictable and unreliable and they cannot save each other because they wouldn't save him. They wouldn't piss on him if I was on fire, so why should he help anyone else? Uh, except for the dog. The dog needs saving. Dog is innocent. Um, but it's not worth it because they will do terrible things to him. America's the greatest country in the world, son. But they'd fucking cut you to pieces. And so, don't sound like the greatest country in the world then, Dad. Sounds like a bad place to be. All the people are terrible, but the country's great. The, the like, ideals, the principles, <laughs> the things that you should that, stand for. The, the, the things that were built in, like, the 1770s. That's the real good shit. The founding fathers. Yeah, they uh, Americans are fucking obsessed with the founding fathers. What were the founding fathers? This is what, think? To, this is what oh Thomas God. Jefferson stood for. Like, right? <laughs> okay, that was two hundred and thirty years ago. Yeah, like, that noise. You really want, really want to be having this conversation? Yeah. The question is, what should be the the people from a hundred years be writing about us now? That should be the question. How embarrassed are we going to be? Is the question? And like, oh no. Um. Anyway, the film does actually answer the question, but it does it on the sly. So Jonathan Kent. Do not reveal yourself. Do not help anyone. If you do, you'll put everyone at risk. And what's more, they will come for you and you will be hated by us because, you know what, I kind of maybe hate you deep down too. Who knows? And it's like, right, okay. I could have punched those kids to pieces. And, it, and the thing is, it's like, it does teach you a good lesson to that kid. The kid version, like, I, I would love to explain something. Yeah, then what happened? It's escalate. It's almost like, oh, don't escalate a fight. It's like, holy shit. This is a very un-American, like, you know what you should do? Use your power. And even in Superman 2, he goes back to the fucking diner and says, hi, remember me? And throws him around the fucking place because he wants to get a bit of vengeance. It's like, that's... Well, then he does, yeah, he does that in Man of Steel where he wrecks that dude's truck with a big fucking log see, for see, no reason. Yeah, exactly. He, but he does it in secret. Yeah. As if, as if no one realised, oh, the gigantic dude <laughs> who just wandered around and you punched and like broke your fist on 10 yeah. seconds ago. Maybe he was the one. Oh, he's on the news saving an oil rig as well. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the same guy. <laughs> Fuck's sake. But what's interesting is that analysis, that idea of helping people is incorrect, uh, incorrect and not worth doing and it will dangerous, blah, blah, blah. By the end of the movie is shown to be completely wrong. It should be a thing of my father's politics is not my politics. The world of my father is not the world of this son. And what's more, I could have done more for longer. It should be guilt and shame that drives Superman to do more. It's like, oh, not just a whole like, oh, fuck, I wrecked a whole building. Yeah, because I should have been learning from day one how to control myself and not just lash out. Shit, my dad was right and wrong. It could have been a really interesting analysis that the, your, your father's have these very overbearing, interesting, 
you know, your, your figureheads, who will very interesting comparisons. You know, and people say, well, you can't do that in one film. Like, oh, Superman's nobody, then he's everybody, then he's a savior, and then he's gone. It's like, yeah, you can. Cap did it. I hate to do the MCU comparison. I apologize in advance, but Captain America turns up. He has no father figure per se. He's got his father figure in his doctor who made him. Um, and then, you know, his best friend dies and stuff. He's a symbol. He is a military symbol who does his own stuff. He breaks he's the a, rules. He's a symbol of hope, arguably. Uh, on my planet, the star stands for hope. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yes, he, he... You think this A stands for France? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're just the best dialogue ever. But that's the point. He's like, he's shown to be a kid who has the right moral values, but hasn't got the power to do the right thing. Then he's given the power, does something that doesn't actually help, goes off the rails and does the right thing because it's the right thing because he goes against the, the military order things, forms his own unit, has to sacrifice himself, Jesus style, for the good of everybody, and then he's resurrected later and he's out of place and doesn't know how he fits in again. Great. That's Superman. That's, I don't get it. How did you not? And the thing is, it's not that the Superman we were given in Man of Steel couldn't become that. If you had a long, slow burn, like, no, 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 I've got a plan. I've got a plan. Fair enough. I will give you the benefit of the doubt. I will wait. Batman v Superman comes out. I've got a plan. The plan here is that Batman is this, the, the, you know, the essence of human paranoia because of his, his and it's like, Again, I get that. I get your Batman. He makes sense. He is a kid who has suffered trauma. Fucking those goddamn pearls. And he, um, he has suffered trauma and now doesn't trust humans. And yet he believes this thing that is mightier than humans, this God, has no purpose being because he's afraid, basically. He is terrified of Superman and terrified that he can't just punch him to death. So he goes, I've got to get rid of this. I've got to kill this thing because I, I hate and fear what I don't understand. And then he realizes he's wrong and transitions. And when you say it out loud, it's like, this is a good arc. I like this. And then he becomes friends with him, but he's failed him at the last minute. He has to bring him back because it's for the good of things. And then it's like, yeah, but the actual execution of the values you're trying to put across have not had the proper analysis because you're focusing on the wrong thing for too long. People are saying, oh, Batman v Superman didn't do very well because people didn't want really their superheroes dissected. No, we, we are fine with that. We have no problem with that as a story, but you have to set it's them up in the first place. It's been happening for decades in the comics. Precisely, because, like, but you have to set them up in the first place as what they do that makes them good and heroic. It's like the hero mindset. It's like, well, a fireman is a, is a perfectly good hero. He runs to a burning building and helps people. And it's like, yeah, I fucking agree. Noble profession. Well done. Well done. But he only does it for the money. No, I don't think firemen become. I don't think it's especially well paid. No, they don't. It's a very specific. It's like it's like nurses. It's a calling. Well, couldn't those people in the building save themselves? Yeah, fuck them. They may, one of them probably started the fire accidentally or intentionally. So fuck them. Why would I bother? And it's like that's that's your fireman. That's your fireman character. Are you mad? John Cena was recently in a movie in a kids movie where he plays a fireman and has to look after some kids. Um, I'm gonna find out what it's called. Um, and. It does not portray any of those people, John Leguizamo and um, uh, Key Michael Key and, and, and John Cena and stuff. It portrays none of them as, you know what? I love fire. And I love the idea <laughs> that any fire is a cleansing one. It's a fire that teaches people to be strong. It lifts them up. It makes them better. No, it's yeah, about a, this big- A rising flame rises all ships, yeah, right? a fire rises. <laughs> But basically, it's about this big burly dude and all these manly men who have to look after a fucking three kids and they don't know what to do with them. Oh my God, they're so out of control. What do I do? And then there's a dog involved. But they're all heroes because they run into these burning buildings and save people's <laughs> lives and do the right thing. And like, yeah, that makes sense. I know the premise of who these people are, 
you can therefore do whatever you want with them. It's like, you know what? This big burly dude who saves people from fires, he just needs to relax a little bit. He just needs to ease up a little bit. That's an eventual Superman movie, I've, I think. <laughs> if you keep the Snyderverse, that's what you end up with. You end up with this, like, I can't keep up with this fucking Superman. And eventually you get the whole, like, I'm Superman. I've got a lot on my plate. I killed Zod. My mother is now also dead. And Lois is dead. Everybody's fucking dead. I guess I'm gonna just join Darkseid. <laughs> Problem solved. We will get to that, good yeah. lord. And so, I need three kids and some hijinks. That'll save me. I think it's extremely telling that one of the noticeable changes between the Justi the, the Whedon League and the, the Snyder League is that the Snyder League removes any footage of any of the superheroes saving people. Like, Obviously, they save mm. the world, but they do not interact with regular humans because they exist on a level mere mortals. above them. And uh, again, with the comparisons to the MCU, but you know they're inevitable. The, the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't like secret identities, um, and it, it doesn't, doesn't like, no. um, and it doesn't like them because they it wants the maximum possible human drama, like. Spider-Man is a character who, in a lot of ways, is defined by his secret identity in the comics, more so than most other yes. uh, superheroes. And yet, over the course of two, two or three films that he has appeared in, basically, not counting like Endgame and, and uh, Infinity War, um, the, the MCU has basically erased his secret identity. Homecoming ends with, with Aunt May finding out who he is, and then at the end of uh, far from home, the whole world finds out who he is, and it does that because it the 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 executives behind it a that there's the whole question of like how would you keep a secret identity in a modern age? It's kind of impractical, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But also they want to be able to have scenes of Aunt May meddling in Spider Man's life, kind of thing. Not just <laughs> not just dealing with Peter Parker, but but like how does how does Aunt May knowing that he's Spider Man affect Spider-Man, and it never wants you to forget that sure. there are humans under those masks. You know, it wants it wants maximum possible human drama at all times. It's what you know. M MJ finds out that he's Spider-Man, etc., etc., etc. Zack Snyder is not interested in secret identities either, but that's because he does not give a fuck about the human side of these characters. Hmm. Like as much as we we talk about, you know, oh, like. Clark Kent growing up, Clark Kent, his stupid fucking speech, etc., etc. Like, Zack's, Zack Snyder is one of these people who does, does not believe that... Uh, he, be he believes that Superman is the true identity and Clark Kent is the costume that he puts on to protect Very much so. It's the Kill yes. Bill thing. I would argue that that is a complete misreading of Superman. Um, I, I agree with you, too. <laughs> uh, and like for me, and for I'd argue for a lot of people, the core fantasy of Superman is that here is the most powerful person who could ever exist, and it turns out he is actually completely morally pure and wants the best for everyone. Yeah, he's not human. He's literally the nicest guy. <laughs> yeah, like he's he is both incredibly human and incredibly nice. He is he is a guy who go out of his way to you know help you change your tire or move into your house or whatever which is how americans see jesus 
Yeah. It's why this pervades so much. It's like a classic quote from um, 500 Days of Summer. It's just this guy with Brad Pitt's hair, face and, and Jesus's abs. And it's like, why does Jesus have abs? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it, it's this thing of like, you know, he's like, and I don't mean, I don't mean a Catholic or Christian mindset in like maybe Europe or around the world. I mean, America, Midwest America. <laughs> Jesus is my friend. He is the guy who takes the Jesus wheel. Jesus is a friend of mine. <laughs> he is Literally the guy who it. got me through that hard week and I was able to pay my bills because he lent me $20. And it's like, what? <laughs> He's just a Our great American guy. American listeners are going to hate us for this episode. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Fine, that's fair. <laughs> maybe they should. Maybe you, sh- maybe you should. Maybe you should. <laughs> no. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not especially keen on Christ analogs in Supermax. Of course not. Out, but, but, really? Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine why, Tim. <laughs> But it is that thing, like the, the, like I say, that's to me, that's the core fantasy because it's, we see so much, and that's why it's, it's why Lex Luthor doesn't understand Superman and hates him because Lex yeah. Luthor is someone with also an extreme amount of power, a different and economic and intellectual power, but he sees people as lesser than him, whereas Superman sees himself, uh, despite all his power, he sees himself as equal to. All of it, but not according to Zack Snyder. Uh, <laughs> the Justice League are literally gods, and, and that, you even have that parallel with Wonder Woman, where she's like, "Hey, Wonder Woman, <laughs> what can I be when I grow up?" It's like you can be anything you want, little girl, except me, because yeah. I am literally a god. You can be an, an accountant or something. I don't yeah. know. You, you you live your mortal life. I'll carry on living for I've the next five thousand years and be literally in, literally yeah. indestructible. But you can be anything you want. Just not me or anything exciting or not that guy or that guy or her or him. He's half <laughs> a robot, so not him either. But anything you want, apart from all the exciting shit yeah, that's actually happening. It's worrying that she says that right after literally one woman blows a guy up and smashes her against a wall. Yeah. And it's like, oh, a wow. Blood that's blood a dude. I, I have a note here. It's like, so she saved the city from a bomb. And then there's a big explosion anyway that just vaporizes it. I, I get a lot of flack for my enjoyment of Wonder Woman 1984, but again, it's she's in that role she fills the Richard Donner uh, classic Superman because there's no Superman around in that form. So it's like <laughs> she's gonna be the one who's gonna get the kid out of trouble, and then when she goes to fight the guy with the guns, she says I hate guns, and then winks to the kid like Shh, it's our secret, and it's like that there. I'm not saying it's, it has to be that kind of kiddie candy floss nonsense all the time. I'm just saying. That tone is missing, and so when you go so opposite direction, it feels so whiplash. Yeah, um, it's 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 just I, like I am someone, and this this may uh, earn me a raised eyebrow from from Jack and Matt. Just saying, I am someone. <laughs> How dare you yes. have an identity, Tim? I am a human. Um, I don't mind that there are guns on a Batmobile or a Batplane or whatever. Sure, sure. In the comics and in and in stuff like uh, the Justice League cartoon, mm. uh, Justice League Unlimited, and all those kind of things, I don't mind them there because that is a universe where sometimes Batman has to fight a bunch of robots or a bunch of like non sentient aliens mm. or whatever. Mm. And so sometimes, yeah, he needs those things because they exist in this comic book world. And sometimes there are threats where you're like, yes, this thing doesn't is not sentient, and I can just it just needs destroying it is one of my many tools for one of many appropriate jobs exactly i wouldn't use this drill on your face i would use it yeah. on this nail in a wall I, yeah. or a screw not a nail that's stupid fucking hell batman yeah. sort it out. <laughs> i hate it in these films and and in a lot of like for example they they have it in the burton films and stuff like that 
And in the Nolan films. And in the Nolan films. Bane, Bane just gets shot with a big bat bike yeah. gun by Catwoman for some reason. Yeah, because those films exist, even even the Snyder films, where there's fucking parademons and all this kind of stuff. But, like, this is kind of the first time it's... Essentially, Batman has been around and existing, and either he's had guns on his Batmobile the whole time, because... He likes shooting people and branding them with a bat symbol and all that stuff. Um, and they're just regular it's that, people. It's that, Tim. And he's Whatever just... your other answer is, it's that one. <laughs> well, the alternative is he saw Superman and was like, I've got to put some fucking guns on my thing. <laughs> nah. I've got to, I've got this, to kill this, this, Superman, I've got this, to kill this guy Batman who's been helping guns people. For like 20 years. Um, uh, but he's, he's been secretly helping people and not revealing his identity. So we don't know he's good. He might be, but there's a 1% chance. There's a 1% chance that he might be evil. 90 years of history of Batman. I mean, I remember very distinctly, because I like a lot of the pulpy stuff, like The Shadow, for example. and mm. um, Things that Boom Studios, I think, currently owns, like Green Hornet and stuff like that. And I remember there was apparently, was it fucking, who was that? Um, O'Neill might have been talking about it, about how um, one of the open openly admitted initial inspirations for Batman was the shadow. The shadow knows. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. of course. Shadow rocks up with two forty fives and he's going to plug the fucking shit out of you. He is oh, yeah. cool and badass and vengeance. He has ba a hat and Batman a big nose. had guns initially. Had, like... Exactly. And there's a whole thing where I think one crossover where they run into each other and um, they're like, oh, I don't use, I don't use guns and things like that. And, and, and I think shadow says, yeah, you will. <laughs> and he's like, and then Batman's like, I hate to do it, but it's necessary. Um, because again, it's the fucking 40s and 50s and there's a war going on. It's not that Batman's never had guns because again, it's evolved so much as a character that, uh, with different voices. We mentioned about the, you know, the idea of injecting your own politics. Fine. Do a version where X, Y, Z happens. But we, in this day and age where there's so many mass shootings in schools and guns aren't cool. And I said, somebody who has a fucking, um, web series with tons of guns in it. I'm not like saying, oh, there should be no guns in, in fiction. Fuck that shit. And Captain America, again, has a gun. And people are like, well, that's a bit controversial. It's like, is it? He's fighting in a war. <laughs> it's, it's one of those- He's a soldier. He's a, soldier. He's a super soldier. Yeah. It's, it's, a very, it's a very hard line. And obviously you, you project your own thing. Like, oh, I have decided Batman never uses guns. And it's like, why is that? Because his parents were killed by guns. Oh, that's an interesting mindset. I've decided Batman uses guns for certain situations. All right, fine. It's just a case of adjusting accordingly, um, except this film has no adjustment. It's just, or th this this concept, this is Snyder's mindset, is like, what's the best use of my time here? What's the thing that's going to make Batman look cool? Him chucking a fucking shuriken shaped like a bat? Nah, he does that as a calling card to Flash. I don't think I remember seeing a lot of bats fucking <laughs> orangs. I remember seeing the, the grappling thing quite a lot, and then a lot of guns. And punching. Yeah. If you, like, it's such a, it speaks to me of such a complete absence of imagination that if you can't think, if you can't construct a fight scene where the best thing for Batman to do is to grab a rifle <laughs> and start shooting fools, like, you have, you, you've misunderstood the character and you've made mm. a bad film. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Like if that's if that's the best way, and I know I've just said, oh, I'm fine with you know occasionally Batman, you know, using mm, mm. ordnance on stuff, but but if he is if he is down 
out of his vehicles, etc., and doing stuff. Like, there's, there's a whole series of games recently that have Batman fighting and doing interesting, like, scenes where he's, mm. like, taking out people stealthily and doing all that kind of stuff. He has a literal belt full of gadgets designed to help in various situations mm. and your thing is like well he grabs the gun and then he starts shooting people like that's so that's the least interesting possible thing that he could do in this situation it's like Which, okay um, well this guy's this guy's not got superpowers so what can he do well he can he can he can pick up a gun god damn it that gives him a kind of superpower <laughs> this makes everybody a superhero, damn it. I have the power to take that's how we would that's how if I was there and I had a gun, I would have stopped nine eleven. Oh, it's that <laughs> mental. So the good guy with a gun. It's 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 why, for example, as I said before, you can have a Batman movie or a Superman somebody directed by a certain person who's bringing their own vision to it, fine. You can't have someone doing all the films like that because it becomes very stale very quickly and certain things are required. So for example, Aquaman. We need to talk about Aquaman. I like what James Wan oh, did yeah. with Aquaman. He made him fun and cool and interesting. And there was a whole mm. realm of like this, what was introduced as a my man, one note joke nonsense. It's actually, he's actually quite interesting. And, and Momoa is quite an amusing guy at times. And I think they, they at that point made the, the first big $1 billion fucking DCEU movie. Um, and it was mostly because China liked things underwater. But it was the, the idea of creating things... <laughs> because of interesting visuals so i can how how would you get them to move underwater how do we get to fight saying how are we gonna how are we gonna do this and snyder's answer is i don't know just make it a bubble every time and that's oh. why it came out today oh. that wayne t Carr was supposed to be possibly alongside martian manhunter as john stewart as green lantern and i'm like yep you've shown me some Green Lantern stuff in this Justice League movie. You've shown me you don't know what you're doing because just Green Lantern is literally, to, to a big Green Lantern fan like myself, has the potential to be the most creative outlet you can have. It's why the film was terrible with Brian Reynolds. Because the idea is that the person who operates the ring can create constructs of anything they can imagine. It's literal filmmaking. Yeah, like cars and boxing gloves. Shut the man. fuck up. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, it's not and just big bubbles gun. and fists. Fucking oh, you absolute yeah, giant a, a green hard light minigun. So as we discussed, the most interesting thing you can do is get a gun and start shooting fools. He's a pilot. He would do planes. Oh fucking! <laughs> it's it's the fact that I think as in, the in crash of the Grant Morrison's jets. Justice yeah. League comic, he was talking about at one point. It's like you have square against one of the worst things, and it's Carl Rayner saying an artist with a Green Lantern ring, and he <laughs> creates like dinosaurs and mechs and sharks, and it's like so fucking crazy, and and things you couldn't even imagine. These strange. Uh, almost um, kaleidoscope constructs of images just to lacerate. He's like, this is crazy. But I'm so grateful that this is not a thing. We'll get back to that later. But Aquaman is, that, is, is, is as good as we get to an expression of that. Um, take up your mother's trident. Thank you, Willem Dafoe. You must take it. Go to the surface and then come back to Atlantis. And then, oh, I don't know what the story's about. And I've got a British accent. Thank you, Amanda. Amber Heard. Why on earth does Amber Heard's mirror have a weird British accent in this film all of a sudden? I checked in Aquaman. She's American. And she's, she's, she's pretty American. What, what's more? She's, she's got a weird way of talking because oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, get, I guess all the Atlanteans must talk like this. <laughs> and it's very stilted like 
oh, we're we're um we're at a Renaissance convention. We're we're at Ren Fair. We need to all talk like we're ancient beings from an olden time. What that like, bastard off. did to Arthur? Yes, thank you. But she says like burst. Burst. Like, what, what is what yeah, is that word? I mean, our accents are appropriate times because we're not professionally How trained. How dare you, sir? But the point I'm trying to get to is that Aquaman is the example of you could do so many interesting things, so much creation, and the, and, and the Aquaman movie shows that because it was balls the wall fucking ridiculous, and I loved it for that reason. I thought it was so. No one would say it was it was um, creative uh, creative deficit. It was just it was just constant as ridiculous as it could be and after years of this dour grounded realism even from the mcu it was like this is ridiculous i kind of love this and i never thought i'd give a shit about an aquaman at all put him in a big spangly golden armor fuck this is great justice league comes out again the new this current version the Zack snyder justice league um i remember with your your mother queen alana it's like that can't be right you wouldn't have been born what Oh, we, we had all these things. Wait, what? Um, and, and the continuity is gone because obviously James Wan has, has been told by Warner Brothers, we're ditching everything. Do whatever you want. And he did. He made a very colorful, bioluminescent neon thing and they talk underwater and there's fucking drumming octopuses. Yes. Um, whereas it's like <laughs> signaling with sort of like almost echo location dolphin nonsense. And well, then, they were doing like dolphin. Yeah, and then like, clicking <sighs> dolphin noises. Ah, thank God we got some water, air, so we can oh, actually. Thank God we've got air. We can finally uh, talk. Us aqua aquatic beings. I love the idea in the, uh. in, in the Aquaman film. They can't breathe on land because they're fish people. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Only certain people can because they're an official royal line or whatever it is. That's cool. That works. And they ride fucking crocodiles and hammerheads and shit. And it's fucking great. Whereas I don't think I saw a single fish in the sequences in Justice League. <laughs> well, Atlantis is just like a fucking apocalyptic barren wasteland. It's just like, yeah, there's there's three of us. Why would we want to rule this place? It's an asshole place. And then he goes to like Norway. Yeah, it's shit here too. It's like, well, fucking great. <laughs> Better get someone to sing to me. Ah, Swan, yeah, fucking whatever. Oh, God. The Horny fucking soundtrack. Norwegians. The weird Icelandic. Icelandic singing for no reason. Mm. So weird. And and the actual soundtrack, Junkie XL, Tom Holkenborg, and weirdly enough, literally every review I've seen says with a new soundtrack and score by Junkie XL, also known as Tom Holkenborg. Like, you can just call him Junkie XL. That's his professional name. Like, it's fine. Oh no no, you can call him no, either every, one. Every motherfucker. Literally, literally everyone has to clarify. New score by Tom Holkenborg, also known as Junkie XL. Like. Yeah, we get that's fine. You don't need to no, say it's, it every it's like single the, time. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You have a transition from your 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 <laughs> your young playful nickname, your Spider Man name, to Peter Parker. You go, you you evolve. <laughs> I can't remember how he's actually credited in the film. Tom Holkenborg. He might be down as Tom Holkenborg. Yeah. yeah, he's down as Tom Holkenborg. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. The fucking the the Aquaman bubbles thing was so. I love that James Wan took a look at that because obviously it was in the in the Whedon League yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. and was just like. That seems like a lot of bother every time I need to do a dialogue scene. Like, and hang on. So you've got a whole culture that lives underwater, but they can't talk unless they're not underwater. But also they die <laughs> when they're out of water. How the fuck do they get anything done? Unless everyone has the ability to make those bubbles, which clearly they don't because no. it's a special thing that Mira could do. So let's just have them fucking talk underwater <laughs> because it's a comic book universe. And let's, like, let's just fucking do that. Yes. Because it's fun. And fuck yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have an um, a octopus that can play the drums, we're gonna have the Brian King, we're gonna have yeah. 
I, I, I really liked Aquaman. Yeah. Um, it's. I think it's fine. Fat, that's fine. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Yeah. Because that's um, the whole point. You can have multiple that's things That's about existing. 10 steps higher than anything Zack Snyder's ever yeah, made. Yeah. So there you go. But you do but yeah. also have the idea that, that there's no cohesion. And obviously, that was, it was as, as Tim said, it was abandoned for a reason because it wasn't working. I was like, he go, I mean, doesn't doesn't in, in the this version, the Zack Snyder's Justice League, Aquaman gets the trident from his father or ancestor's corpse. Not his father, obviously his father's human. The, the, you know, the King Atlantis or whatever the fuck his name is. Um, you know, he's like, oh, here's the trident. I'll take it now. It's like, that's, the fetch quest in uh, in Aquaman. That's the no, because this a... is this is the five point trident. Oh yes, and of in, course. The... In Aquaman, it's the three point trident. Yes, of course, of course. The deck. No, it's ten. Pen, pen tri... <laughs> pentrident. I don't fucking know. <laughs> the pendant. Pendant. <laughs> the pitchfork. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I, I will say this before we move on, but only briefly, because we're talking about characters, because we'll come back to it. Cyborg and Flash. I liked them. We'll come back to that. Yeah, we would. We will certainly come back to that. So let's move on from talking about the characters, talking about the vision, talking about the aspect ratio and all that kind of stuff, and talk about how it was received in Chapter Three, Beloved Mother, Beloved Sequel. Because the the, the critical reaction to this has been very interesting, and I have. I have a note, so fun fact, folks. I, I essentially took live notes on a Google Doc on my phone as I watched this film. <laughs> and the final one was when I went and watched some YouTube videos and I read some articles and I read some reviews and all that kind of stuff. And my note simply says, am I going crazy? Actual film critics enjoyed this film. That's it. Because people, people that I respect, people like YouTubers and critics that actually thought like, they have you know a reasonable reasonably well adjusted knowledge of films and they I, I trust in their critiques and all this kind of stuff for like you know what i really liked Zack snyder's justice league i'm like did we did we watch the same movie are you mental like well yeah it's much better than the justice the justice league we had in 2017 like yeah that's a low fucking bar that doesn't turn it good that turns it slightly less shit that's going from like Two to three, not two. And people are like, this is the best DC film I've ever seen. I'm like, have you seen The Batman Begins or Christopher <laughs> Reeve Superman or The Dark Knight or Shazam, Shazam. for fuck's sake? <laughs> what are you guys talking about? So, to put it into perspective, I've got the uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and I know Rotten Tomatoes is not an actual aggregate score of the thing. Rotten Tomatoes is the, the positive or negative reviews. We've been through this before. However, it's interesting. So let's talk about it. Man of Steel, 2013, 56% on the tomatometer with an audience score of 75%. And you're going to see why I'm bringing up the audience score in a minute. And you can probably predict where this is going. Then next we have Suicide Squad, 2016. It has, here we go, 26% on the tomatometer with a 59% from the audience. Fine, 26% is probably about right. That film was a piece of shit. Batman v Superman is next. Dawn of Justice, also 2016. 29% on the Tomatometer, a 63% on the audience score. You can see that audience score just creeping up ever so slightly. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Terrible fucking score on the main from the critics, though. 2017's Justice League. 40% 
on the tomatometer, which I think is too high. Personally, that first that original version of that film is terrible. <laughs> with a 71% in the audience score, which I thought was very interesting. I assumed all the Snyder fanboys would have review-bombed that by now, but apparently mm. not. Then we have Wonder Woman. Some would argue the best of the DC films, at least up until this point, not including Shazam and a few other things. Sure. A 93% on the tomatometer, which blew my mind. <laughs> I was not expecting it to be over 90%, and an audience score of 83% from 2017. Then, finally, Zack Snyder's Justice League from 2021, 71% on the tomatometer score, with an audience score of 95%. Now, those aren't as crazy numbers as maybe I would have predicted for some of these things. But I think the audience score says a lot there. Especially, of course, with the film we're talking about here in Zack Snyder's Justice League. The, the fan push and the fan desire and the, the nutters on Twitter trying to get this film, hashtag release the Snyder Cut, etc. Yeah. 95% on Rotten Tomatoes for the audience. Are you insane? <laughs> this film well, is mediocre at best. It's also arguably at least an hour too long, arguably an hour and a half too long. You could push for maybe a three-hour cut of this movie. And we mentioned earlier, there's nearly half an hour of slow-mo footage in this film. You could just speed that up and save half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that is insane you could have a three and a half and you go to like three hours and 30 minutes you're like god man that's a long film but you know the godfather's very long matt you mentioned it's been plenty of long films around the irishman's really long lord of the rings yep. really really long four hours it's like he again it's like he did it on purpose to be different and be like yeah but my film's four hours long not three hours long <laughs> yeah. because i can and it's four hours and two minutes long in total but, I mean, so this, is weird. The, this is the thing with Rotten Tomatoes, is it's self-selection bias. And, like, we said, like, who is the audience for this film? And the only people I know who've watched it are people who are rabidly, like, pro-Snyder and people who are, like, who are really into films and want to see it out of kind of a morbid curiosity. Like, yeah. I can't imagine that the average cinema going, you know, the, the, your average member of the public is, A, particularly cares about, oh, they've brought out a different version of that not very good film that I watched, you know. Uh, I, I watched Justice League on a plane, uh, which I thought was entirely appropriate, <laughs> you know. Uh, so for the, for the most part, if I, if I wasn't plugged into this kind of stuff, if I saw, oh, hey, they've brought out a different version of that film I saw on a plane once, I have no, why would I be interested? You know, that wasn't very good. Why would I be interested in seeing it? Oh, and it's four hours long. No, thank you. I've got, I can watch two other good films in that time. So, <laughs> and, and again, Rotten Tomatoes is always that the, the people, the people who are submitting scores for the most part are people who care about submitting scores to things, you know, and so it's very much. A, it's a self-selection bias, you know. I, a lot of people who don't care about the Snyder Cut or who view it unfavorably are not going to go to deliberately review bomb it. But people who really have, who are, have a, an investment in it doing well 
are going to go along and go like, yes, best film ever. And then the vast majority of people don't care. So to, to sort of, in the relay race of this, to take that from Tim and, and go further, I'm going to throw a spanner in the works here because I uh, learned something the other day and I was very confused by it. <laughs> um, bit of background, very brief, very brief background. And it's going to be just a, a bombardment of statistics here. This is what I've given as a critic all the DCEU. Oh, here we go. Just numbers. Here we go. The Bitty Man of Steel was one I was doing out of 10, but I've translated it to five. Sure. Man of Steel, three out of five. Fine. Batman v Superman, two out of five. Not good. Suicide Squad, two out of five. Not good. Wonder Woman, four out of five. I liked it. Aquaman, three out of five. It's all right. It's good. I enjoy it, but it's not good. You know, because it's the thing. Just because I enjoy something doesn't mean it's critically a good thing. Because you try and separate yourself from that. Mm. Shazam, five out of five, really fucking good. Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four, three out of five. It's all right. Birds of Prey, four out of five. I really enjoyed it. Justice League, twenty seventeen. Justice League, twenty twenty one. Justice League, twenty seventeen. Two out of five. A convolute, sorry, a conflicted feature that is constantly at war within itself, but comes out pleasingly average. Which I guess DC Warner Brothers could count as a win, and that's my twenty seventeen opinion. Justice League 2021, a stimulating and striking retread, but one that still failed to exceed where necessary, three out of five. So that's my entire overview of the DCEU. <laughs> I could tell you my Marvel ones, they're much higher. And that's not me about being Marvel vs. DC. Oh, you I Marvel want... zombie, man. See, I want DC to be good. My favourite fucking book is Green Lantern. I'm <laughs> waiting for a really what, good Green Lantern. What was your review of Green Lantern, Matthew? You got that? Um... Did you, did you review that? Just mostly I sobbing. Did. Yeah. Wait a second. Um, so what we're talking about... Actually, they I'll... ruined my childhood in all caps. Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 I was, it's the same time as the uh, as Thor came out, um, if I remember correctly. We, we, it is 2011, to... yeah. Oh. Is it a one? It's a one out of five. Amazing. <laughs> uh. <sighs> this I was okay. This, this is very hyperbolic language from, from 10 years ago. You, Matthew, no. I was, I was very angry. Absolutely atrocious. Green Lantern single handedly sets back comic movies <laughs> back 20 years <laughs> and nails the coffin any form of Justice League outside of the animated universe. <laughs> and to be fair, in 2011, it did. And then we got two Justice <laughs> yeah. Leagues over the next 10 years. So I still stand by that. Okay, so yes. I own it on Blu ray though. But. um the thing that makes it the revelation, the thing that sort of changes it a little bit here, makes it a little bit unusual and odd. My mum. I think it's fair to say my mum's got shit tasted films. Hey, Mrs. <laughs> um, I hope you're listening. No, she doesn't. Uh, Jack uh, brings up his parents all the time, like an interesting, different um, they, aspect. Where they, they introduced me films. to a lot of films, yeah. Precisely. Yeah. My parents. Uh, did not. My parents like the films they like. So my dad likes westerns. My mum likes certain musicals like Calamity Jane and Sound of Music. That's sort of like all, uh, 60s era sort of shit and other crap. Um, but I would still glean information from them that would be interesting about certain films. My mum likes to keep up with certain releases. So mum said to me on a phone the other day, um, oh, I saw that Justice League. And I said, Oh wait, and I'm I'm not a very polite person, so I say wait wait what the fuck are you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, mum? No, no, you didn't. What what, <laughs> what what what? Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. And this is a lot of processing. I said, what did you see? Was it like you know BBC One replaying the 2017 one? Was it? I said, okay, was it like a box? And she said, no, 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 it was the Zack Snyder one, the new one. I said it was four hours. Yeah, the four hour one. You watched all that? Yes. 
Why? I should point out my mother is retired. She's got time around. Just say we're in, lo- <laughs> we're in lockdown at the moment. So. Yeah. And she said, it's got Batman. And I said, good old Batman. Batman? And I said, yeah, what? What? I like Batman. I said, okay. And then I started grilling her and that's awful gatekeeper way. I said, well, okay, like, did you actually understand it though, mum? Yeah, mum. Have you read yes, Dark yes. Returns though, mum? I know what happened. And she got very, she said, I, I know what happened. Um, the, uh, the, the, and she doesn't know the names and that's fine. I don't begrudge her for that. Yeah, the much. clown man. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> clown and no face. It's like, sorry, you described the dark night there. <laughs> um, um, Half face, she, that's what we call him. <laughs> It was, it's like, yeah, the, the alien was coming down and they stopped him and, and had to bring Superman back because they weren't strong enough. And Batman was like, oh, I made a mistake and I need to get everybody. And they were like, oh, I don't know if we should do it or not. And they did. And it's like, fuck. That's kind of correct. <laughs> I said, well, what did you think of it? He said, it was all right. <laughs> and to be fair, if we talk about grading the public perception, and who, sometimes when there's enough momentum around something people will just watch it people went to watch endgame who hadn't seen a single marvel movie because everyone else was watching it it doesn't matter sometimes we are very obsessive over the as, as tim said the scores are matter because we put a score on things we have to put the we have to have the value the worth the prediction where it's going some people just want to watch a movie just to relax and just watch a movie i have tried to get my parents to watch things that are fucking astounding that I know they'll love. And they're like, yeah, I'll get around to it. That's great. It's great. I buy it from them, like, you know, as, as a gift, like for a birthday or something or Mother's Day or Christmas. So here, watch this. You'll really enjoy the story. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Have you watched that yet? No, I'll get around to it in my time. But you watch four hours of the fucking Justice League of your own volition. God's sake. And the problem is that is the general public all over. Yep. And that is why this yep. will be construed as a glorious success, critically and otherwise. The fanboys got what they wanted, and even if it was sunk cost fallacy, even if it was shit, it would still be the greatest movie of all time. The fact that it was an Wait, Did you see the initial reactions on Twitter that were like, this is the best film that oh, has ever God, been yeah. filmed in the history of films? It's fine. And then I have, have a 10. friend who, who sent me his review, and it was very much like, it's, it's an amazing accomplishment. What's been achieved here is astonishing. I was like, is that Jonathan Firth? I no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was a different guy um, called Matt Smith. And um, the doctor. Not the doctor. Oh. And um, it's, it's interesting because obviously, if you're, if you're passionate about something, if you love something and you want to see it in a certain form, it's, it's like, oh, this is vindication. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We have, we have two versions of Justice League now. One is really bad and one is fine. <laughs> but the problem mm. is. I would argue one's fine, really bad and one's bad, but sure. Oh, okay. Well, I say, but the, the mediocre or the fine or the, the serviceable one becomes so good because for two reasons. One, it was much better than what we got, therefore an improvement, but, you know, objectively an improvement. And thing number two, there's more of it to analyze so you can discuss more, so you can have time to develop Cyborg's character and yeah, Flash's that, character. Yeah, that was a big thing I saw. You, you touched upon Cyborg and Flash. We'll get onto them in a second because they, re- I feel like, get the... They're, they're the biggest improvements in terms of the, the actual film and the development for me. Sure. But people saying, like, God, this film has so much more character development than the 2017 one. It's twice as long. <laughs> of course it does. Everyone gets twice as much screen time. Sure, they should have included Cyborg stuff in the 2017 version, but everyone's like, oh, yeah, it really gives it room to breathe. Yeah, because everyone stands around doing nothing for 60 seconds at the end of every fucking shot. The Try- mother boxes are being found by the power demons. Oh, another mother box. Number two mother boxes. We could have cut some of these. Pe- people are like, it's the same plot. You realize that, right? It's, it's ostensibly the same film. 
People are like, no, I yep. it completely transforms it and it's so much more cohesive and stuff. And Steppenwolf is such an improved character. We'll get onto this in a second. I'm like, no, he's basically the same. What are you talking about? It's essentially the same movie with a bunch of other shit and an epilogue we'll get to in a moment. But people are acting like this has gone from like a 3 out of 10 to an 8 out of 10. I'm like, there's not, it's, it's, it's not actually that different, even with all these crazy reshoots. And argue some of the reshoots are worse than the, in this film than they are in the original film, and we'll get to that in a moment. Mm, okay. But good lord, I am amazed how popular this is. I know the fanboys were going to go mental, but I think you're totally right, Matt, with your mum's reaction of like, yeah, it was right. And the general public are like, yes, yeah, fine. Like, how can you possibly be like, yeah, it was fine with this film? I feel like it's very difficult to find, like, the people I talk to, it's like, people fucking love it, and this is what they've always dreamed of, and Zack Snyder's the man, or they're me, and they hate Zack Snyder. And people seem biased either way. But that is very much an echo chamber of social media and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. The people that actually go, for want of a better phrase, to the cinema, or in this case to HBO Max and Now TV or wherever it is streaming in your country, are just like, yeah, it was fine. Oh, you know, it's got Batman and Superman in it, hasn't it? Like, yeah. Do you, did you see the original one? What original one? What are you talking about? So, so the Justice League is kind of like the Avengers. Oh, yeah, it is kind of like the Avengers. You're right. It's got Batman in it. I like, I like, but I read Batman when I was a kid. <sighs> yep. Yes, you did. Is this, is this the same Batman? Yeah, it's kind of like, um, what was that one where he's like, he's, he's like, he's like big and fat and he's got a shotgun and stuff. It's like, oh, Frank Miller's, yeah, he's kind of like Frank Miller's Batman, actually. You're right. Yeah, that's a fair <laughs> point. That's a fair comparison. But it amazes me how like middling the most of the reviews are from like just the average public. Because I find this film so, so Snyder. It's it, it. I hate to make this comparison, but this this is to Zack Snyder what Death Stranding is to Hideo Kojima. Hideo, Ko oh. Hideo Kojima's like batshit insane. Death Stranding is great. Fuck you. I, I'm not saying it's not great. I'm just saying it's an auteur. It's a creative with a very clear vision, completely unleashed. When and again, not to spin off into video game stuff because this is going to be a six hour long podcast, but. <laughs> Hideo Kojima worked with Konami and did Metal Gear Solid and a few other things but there's always that kind of involvement there's always that restraint from the executives and the companies and you've only got Metal Gear Solid 5 was restrained by budget it wasn't finished properly he left Konami on really bad thing uh, circumstances and then went and formed Kojima Productions they then went and partnered up with Sony blah 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 they made Death Stranding Death Stranding is essentially Kojima Unleashed Yes. Doing all his crazy batshit stuff and every character is hard man and dead man and big fat man <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. None of it makes sense. It's absolutely insane and it's the most Kojima thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> this version of Justice League is the most Zack Snyder Zack Snyder has ever Zack Snydered. And Snyder is just 100% Snyder all the time. Apart from maybe Sucker Punch. Because Sucker Punch <laughs> is a hot pile of shit. Yeah, because he wrote that with no IPs on it. It's his exactly. It's the, it's the only thing he that is not an ad adaptation. But yeah, I find it fascinating that people are just like, "Yeah, it was fine." I'm like, how did you watch four hours of this and be like, "Yeah, that was an okay use of my four hours"? I felt like you kind of have to either love it or hate it. It feels so divisive to me that I find it fascinating that people are just like, "Yeah, whatever." I I think you're you're underestimating the ability 
for films to just kind of slide off of a lot of people. And a lot of people, yep, they're just like, yeah, I was more or less entertained. Um, and they don't notice all the, the hideous slow-mo and they don't o- notice There's no the, passion, Tim. The stuff. And uh, there, there's a lot of people who, if you, you could sit them down and make them watch uh, Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman and then afterwards go, so do you think he was saying uh, Superman was like Jesus? They would go, I didn't really notice that. <laughs> and to us, it's like, yep. how what the you fuck do you not notice that there, symbolism? There wasn't any Jesus. I mean, he was literally in a church with the, the stained glass. Uh, yeah. I guess he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't really think about that. You're totally right. Tim. You're to- oh, I, think I think the fact that we're, we're switched on with our, with our critical thinking while we're watching films, and especially this genre, <laughs> like the superhero genre is so... It's such under the microscope from the nerds and the fanboys and, and podcasters like us and stuff like that. We make the joke of like, oh, bring it back to the MCU again. Oh, we have to compare it to the MCU because we do that every five minutes because we're three white dudes doing a film podcast. But yeah, yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. You're totally right. I think the other thing that we've talked about how it's 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 Zack Snyder unrestrained. Um, the other thing that it is, is it's Chris Terrio unrestrained. Oh, God. Uh, who is the screenwriter for this. Also the screenwriter of Rise of Skywalker, packed uh, fans. So take that into consideration. It, this makes me appreciate how good... Um, uh, who is it? Uh, Marcus and McFeely, is it? The, uh, the screenwriters for uh, yep. a lot of Marvel stuff? Yep. It makes me appreciate how good they are because... This fit the 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 script, the dialogue for this film is just appalling, <laughs> and Agreed. I don't Agreed. think and and Chris Terrio has made good films. He made Argo, like yeah, 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 true. But with Ben I Affleck, no less. Yeah, I don't know if uh, if you wonder if previously other people have come in and modified the scripts. This feels like we this. know that's how the industry works. Yeah, this this feels like it is Terrio unrestrained, uh, mm. especially when you think about like how bad Rise of Skywalker was. Um, I think there's it has his fingerprints on it as well as Snyder, even though Snyder's oh, course, yeah. voice is clearly the loudest. And, and also, uh, in this. also the poster isn't Chris Terrio's Justice League. It's exactly. Zack Snyder's Justice League. So just to round this off from a critical point of view, I'd like to make a, uh, an analogy, but I'd like to paint an image for you. I'd like to tell you a story, basically. I'll keep it brief, but in my way. I don't believe you. The way I would and um, sort of present this is to put yourself in our shoes and then how we have a real problem putting ourselves in the public's shoes. Um, and it and it's not that we can't do it, and it's not that they can't do it. It's that it takes a lot of time and a lot of concessions. If, for example's sake, there is a medium that you are extremely passionate about or know fuck all about, there will always be a divide. In London, there is the National Gallery. The National Gallery obviously houses a lot of famous paintings in various wings and so on and so forth. And at present, it is free entry, so you can literally just go to Trafalgar Square, wander in, look at some shit, and leave. It's very much a low stakes thing if you are in the area. So, oh, fuck, should we go over there? Yeah, why not? And in the corner is Jack. Jack, who loves Ex Machina. <laughs> he loves the movie Ex Machina. 
It's true. Ex Machina in this example is a 1618 painting called Christ in the House of Martha and Mary by Diego Velasquez. And it's a very, very, very famous and very <laughs> very famous and very good painting from the Baroque period, uh, from the Seville period. It's 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 a, it's one of those sort of like masterpiece things. It's why it's acquired. However, a painting I've just described, let's face it, almost all of you now are thinking, oh, what the fuck that is? I don't know who the fuck that guy is. Is that a real thing? Yep. Has he made that up? So all the people are sauntering through. Fanny, you threw Martha in there. I was like, oh, did he make that up? Is he doing a little funny <laughs> joke here? Nope. Weirdly enough, and I'm I not thought... even kidding, didn't even realize I did that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this painting and Jack is desperately trying to get people into a very specific wing to look at it. And all they're doing is wandering around in a big crowd and they're going, where's the flower one? And Jack's like, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that shit. Do not worry. And then they see a big crowd of people. That must be the flower one. And they go up and they see Vincent van Gogh's vase with... 15 sunflowers, whatever it's called. That is by essence, not a bad thing, but it's well marketed. We know about it because of it. Most people don't necessarily like it. Most people don't really think it's very good. They just say, ah, I recognize that. And now I've seen it here. I'll go buy a <laughs> magnet and put it on my fridge to remind me of the time that I saw that in the building. And Jack's like, for the love of God, there is this painting. It is so soulful. There's, it's dark. There's so many layers to it because what's happening in the background and the foreground. It's a work. It was 400 years old. It's fucking astonishing. Yeah, but I saw the flower. So I'm going to go now. <laughs> That's kind of Justice League. We're not going to convince people to care. And they're not going to convince us that they're right. <laughs> but the, the fucking, the actual gallery is still selling notepads and posters and uh, magnets with the fucking sunflowers on it because it's what people recognize. It's what they came there for. It's only when you come back as an older person or someone who's more exposed to art that you go, actually, I kind of want to see some Caravaggio. This guy, Diego Velasquez, he did that, some other things. And you see, oh, he also did like... um was it uh, the Venus painting? Rugby Venus. And you're like, oh, what's that? It's like with the naked lady lying down, the little cupid's holding up the, the thing and she's looking at you through the reflection. I'm like, that's fucking stunning. Why don't I know about this? Like, and there's Jack going, I've been trying to fucking tell you about it for fucking years. Do you want to go see the flowers again? Yeah, go fucking that's see up. your flowers again. You nailed me, Matt. You've absolutely nailed me. <laughs> and my passion but, for exquisite fine art. <laughs> but because that's about paintings, people go, well, obviously these are painting ponds. But if we say about movies, it's like, yeah, but it's Batman and Superman, guy. Come on. <laughs> it's it doesn't seem that strange. So a critic saying a, a lot you know of people what? have that like, oh, I just get some popcorn and watch a thing and it's fine. Like, yeah, I'll just I'll watch a bad film because it's, it's only a film, isn't it? Yep. Like, what do you mean it's only a film? I like, watched if you see it a bad enjoyed painting, it because you... everyone else enjoyed it. Or, or it. not even that, like unironically enjoying bad movies just to like spend oh, time yeah, watching yeah, a yeah, film. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a blockbuster. It doesn't need to do anything. It just needs to be on screen for two hours. Like, I wasn't bored and I didn't turn it off. Therefore, it was the best movie ever made. Have you ever turned off a film? No, not really. I just sit through them all. Well, then, oh, that's a very low bar. You sat uh, yeah, I know plenty of people like, that are yeah. like that. Yeah, I know plenty of people yeah. that are just like, yeah, it was fine. Like, um, okay, to not, again, not to spin off into like all the, the God, there's two Godzilla types of people. <clears throat> They're like the introspective, ooh, it has something to say about the world around it and all that kind of... The Shin Godzilla Hello. people. And, the, and then there's the King of All Monsters people who are just like, it's big things, punching other things. It's entertaining and it's on a big screen. Therefore, it's good. I mean, yep. sure, you do you. I'm, there's as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm a Shin Godzilla kind of guy. But... <laughs> 
which is like all about Japanese bureaucracy and how annoying the paperwork and government are. Like, oh, that sounds like my kind of movie. <laughs> See, I, 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 want, anyway. I want my films to do both. I want the, there to be punching, giant monsters punching each other, but I want it to mean something. It's the line from Idiocracy. Uh, not just to see the arse, the, the, the arse farting, but to know who arse, whose arse it is and why it's farting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skincare needs. Find your favourite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more, all in one place with gifts with every purchase. Right now, the Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off your next purchase by using the code POD. That's P-O-D for 20% off your next purchase at skinstore.com slash pod.list. Skin Store. Have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply. So we've teased it a couple of times. We've mentioned the 2017 version known by the fanboys as the Justice League. Although if people call it the Justice League, I feel the same way as when, when men describe women as females, it's a massive red flag. You know what I mean? Yeah. If people describe the 2017 one as the Justice League, it's like, ah, you're a Snyder fanboy. Mm-hmm. All the YouTube videos where it's like, why I love Zack Snyder's blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay. You're back to the Justice League and they spit it out with all the vitriol they could manage. It's time for... Chapter 4, Changed Sequel. Which is one of the... The actual title is Changed Machine, which is a fucking terrible, like, title for a chapter. Makes no sense. Matt, you look confused. I'm trying to think I'm what the machine was that changed. Is it Cyborg? No, it's, it's the... Well, the it, they refer to the motherfuckers as change machines. Because they're, because they're not actually evil. They're just change machines. Except when... Cyborg jacks into them, they're full of fucking witch ghosts that try to convince him to end the universe anyway. <laughs> a gun. A gun is just a gun until a person picks it up, Tim. It's like, right. Exactly. The gun Guns is don't innocent, kill people. Tim. Stop Rappers pursuing do. the gun. Raptors do. <laughs> Raptors do, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in this chapter, we're going to discuss the biggest differences from the 27 one, which is the Snyder Whedon combination to the 2021 Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm pushing my fucking way and I'm going to be that dickhead at the bar who slams his fist on the bar like that makes him somehow the next in line, even though that's not how that works. I'm just going to wave a tenor in the air like a twat. Um, You're an entitled white man. Do your thing. It's, a, it's, it's my God-given right, which is obviously not exactly. a thing. There's only one change here. I'm sorry, everybody. We're going to actually, you know, completely... Wow, here we go. There's one change, and one change only. Um, it's like, oh, but, you know, I mentioned before about how, you know, the Aquaman universe doesn't work as much, all this underwater bubble breathing that isn't there and is there, and the comedy about falling on Wonder Woman's boobs and going, oh, and Dostoevsky, and all that bull... Yeah, I know that's all stuff. I know they're individual lists of things. I appreciate that. But there is one change. Because it was the change that was made in the first place. It was the reason, we, reason Whedon was brought in in the first place. And that is to stop the continuity, to stop the world building, and to stop the sequel plugging. So what we have put back in here is more of that shit. 
Now that's both good and bad, obviously, but the only change is that it was like, make this a standalone, do the story as it is. But anytime someone says about, well, I guess we'll have to find out about that later, cut that out. Anytime somebody says, what does that mean? I'll tell you another day, cut that out. When it's just like, what are we doing next time? Doesn't matter, there's no tomorrow, there's only today. We've saved the day, it's done. No sequel setup. And then Justice League with the Zack Snyder version is like, I have so many things to tell you in my 10 part fucking presentation. And it's like, <laughs> wonderful. None of it makes sense anymore. None of it fits what we've already had going past that moment because obviously things shifted. So the truth is the comparison between the Whedon cut and the Snyder cut is one thinks there's going to be more of it and one is well aware this is the end of it. <laughs> That's it. Everything is minutiae, can be broken down. Oh, he has more to this character development. There's more of this level of, of political ideologies. There's more of this humor, that humor, whatever. Fine. But it's that this will be the last of this style. This is a, a send-off or a death knell. It's one of those things. It cannot be, it's a springboard for 20 more of these fucking things. Which is ridiculous when you think about it, because really, the Snyder Cut should be here is me closing out my contribution to this universe. My tenure because, has come to its close. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not. It treats it like I'm, I'm back, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and now we're getting the fucking new hashtag of restore the Snyderverse. Um, um, I would oh say the most God. notable change uh, is the fact that it's in fucking 4.3, which obviously we've already that, dug yeah. into. Like, um, the other thing is, is obviously, and like we said, You've got four hours of film to fill, so yeah, everybody gets certain characters get more character development. I don't think Wonder Woman gets any additional character development. I don't think she does not. Arguably, Aquaman does either. Even though you get a few mm. extra scenes with him, it doesn't. It doesn't really impact his character. It's just more of the same, and especially like like the fact that we get <laughs> we get. Grumpy, grumpy Aquaman in Nor Norway or wherever it's meant to be, Scandinavia, talking to Bruce Wayne, and then he moodily stomps off in slow motion into the ocean, and then we get another scene about twenty minutes later, or I don't know, maybe an hour later. Who can fucking tell? Um, where Aquaman rescues a guy and is then in Norway. And he's grumpy, and then he walks into the ocean in slow motion. It's like you have not told me anything more about this character in this. That's what I was saying scene. about the film doesn't need to be four hours long. Have one yeah. of those scenes and edit the other <laughs> fucker out. Yeah, I, I, I would be genuinely fascinated to see because because you can't you can't look at this movie and go this is this was my original vision for Justice League. It's like no, because you they would never let you release a four hour film. What would the two and a half hour, what would the two hour Zack Snyder Justice League look yeah. like? Because this is so overindulgent. I'd be really I'd be really interested to see if if he had if he was forced to go in and go, okay, I have to acknowledge that not all of my ideas are great ideas and some of these are superfluous. But this is obviously not that film. So we get everything. And in some places From what I understand, you get literally everything Zack Snyder shot. Yeah. Plus all the reshoots. Yeah. So it's like, because he refuses to use anything Joss Whedon shot in his version of the film. He's been very clear, he has stated that in multiple interviews. Everything in the Zack Snyder cut was shot by Zack Snyder by his hand and not by Joss Whedon. 
to the Even point if it's where positive, I think, he can't acknowledge that. Correct. Correct. He refuses to acknowledge the Whedon cut at all. He hasn't even seen the Whedon cut. Uh, <laughs> appar- apparently, one of the executive producers, and I think Christopher Nolan, it might have actually been his wife, Deborah, like saw some of this Whedon cut or watched the Whedon cut on his behalf or something like that and was like, Zach, you do not want to watch that. And they just like removed him from the theater or like took him mm. away from it. And he has never seen it to this day. And he refused to use any of Whedon's shots or any of Whedon's additions or edits or anything like that. Yeah, if you don't, if you don't want to uh, potentially have your work taken out of your hands, uh, don't don't do fucking big properties that aren't yours to control. Make there fucking, it is. Make make hundreds of Go sucker, make sucker punch too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Ugh. <laughs> the 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 one thing that I did miss from the Whedon Cup because I. I, I I mean, again, I have not watched it since I've watched it on a plane. Well, you're going to rile up the fanboys now, Tim. Um, yeah, they're not listening to Steve into the show. So I haven't. I they haven't, probably vanity search Snyder Cut and we'll find it. So. That's true. I haven't done like a deep, close reading, going through the scenes, comparing them, um, which we'll come back again when we talk about other stuff. But the one thing I missed uh, from the Whedon Cut was that at the end of the Whedon Cut, Cyborg got a slightly better costume because he just morphed to look a little bit closer to his comic book look, um, which I still hate the design. Like, it's still not a good design at the end of the, the, the Justice League, so to call it, but it's a better design because I fucking... Ha- I, I, it's Transformers-y as fuck uh, in the bad Michael Bay sense, um, the way Cyborg looked. I like that we, he got... We will talk about that when it comes to Steppenwolf in a sec as well. Oh, yeah. I like that he got more character development. He clearly should have been the like Cyborg should have been the focal character for this film. Like it's very We talk clear. about it a lot. Turning the turning the protagonist into the surrogate audience member. He's the yeah. everyday guy who is suddenly interacting with all these gods and gets all these powers. Totally yeah. makes sense, I agree. Yeah, and it's it's so frustrating that Snyder treats them all as these godlike figures because that's clearly not the characterization that you should have for both Cyborg and for Flash. Like, it kind of works for the others. They all exist on this mythic level. But Barry Allen is a guy who was in an accident and now he's fast. And it, and, and the film does treat him as a more, because he's more the comic relief kind of character. But Cyborg is very, aside from the fact that, like, he's, grump, he's grumpy and he doesn't like his dad, and there's that human element to it, he's very standoffish and detached from the whole thing fuck the world fuck the world and um and like ah i can go into the internet and give this person money or launch every nuke in the world (laughs) like it makes it it very deliberately it's like you are a god now you are a god of technology um and is much more interested in the machine side of him than the human side it seems uh and doesn't doesn't really like cyborg can be such an interesting character and it even though it gives him more time and it makes him it makes him more interesting than he is in the whedon cut where he's basically nothing like i feel like it still doesn't understand or do anything particularly interesting with him i saw an interesting comparison of shots and stuff there's been quite a few youtube videos as you can imagine that have done like shot by shot comparisons of like the the coloration and the the editing and the lighting changes and the the Martha Kent and Lois scene from both sides. One's bright and looks like it's shot on the set of Friends, and the other one looks like it's 
from a Zack Snyder movie. And one of them is clearly much more like dynamic and brutally lit and all this kind of stuff. But there's a scene where the various members of the Justice League are they're fighting the parademons and stuff, and they're in that like big nuclear tower thing, whatever that is, and they're jumping across this gap. And like Wonder Woman leaps across with her sword and shield, and Batman swings across and Flash does his little zoom thing, and Aquaman's like, yeah, dude, bro, or whatever, and he jumps across, and then it cuts. And you're like, well, how did, how did Cyborg get across? Like, no, he's in the background, so it's fine. <laughs> ah, right, that that's how Joss Whedon is treating Cyborg, because he's not interested in telling Cyborg's story. Yeah. Zack Snyder sort of is, but as you said, I think people give this film too much credit. I think people say, oh, wow, they really, yeah, they really told Cyborg's story. Did they, though, or did they just do better than they did in 2017? I think people take this incredibly low bar of the terrible first version. Well, it did it better. Like, that doesn't make it good. Being better than bad doesn't automatically mean good. And I think the perfect example of that is the design of Steppenwolf. I have seen so many people say, oh my god, he's such a better character. He's so much more believable. He looks so much better. And then the other, and I saw a few people like, He's got human eyes. Why has he got human eyes in this giant fucking demon creature? Also, why does he look like he's covered in spoons? (laughs) (laughs) He's just a big fucking walking pile of cutlery, which is often how you describe, as you said, Tim, the Michael Bay Transformers movies. (laughs) He looks like he's walked straight out of a fucking Transformers movie. And that is not a compliment. He looks terrible in both versions. He's a boring, pointless villain in both versions. Oh, he has motives. Does he? Or is he just doing as he's told, according to Desaad and Darkseid? I think people give that character way too much credit and they give Snyder and Terrio too much credit with the changes that they made. I think both versions of the film are bad. I think both Steppenwolves are bad. I think both Cyborgs are bad. I think the whole thing is bad. Whether it's two hours long or it's four hours long, all six hours are bad. I, I want to jump back to the scene of them crossing that gap uh, that you mentioned, because that it, that is is to me that's like a perfect little distillation of this film. Yeah, because it's like, oh look at you know, now now we see how they all get across this little gap, and it's like a three foot three foot leap, and and I'm just like. They're fucking superheroes. I don't need to see how they cross a three-foot gap. I could probably make that jump. I could make that jump. And I'm a fat dude in his 30s. Like, what is this? I've got knee problems and shoulder problems. I'm overweight. And I could probably be like, yeah, with a run-up, I could probably do that. I'm like, look how Batman has a little grappling gun. Like, Each character gets their own moment to show you their power. No, they don't. It's a fucking three-foot gap. That doesn't need to happen. Do you remember the um, 2018 film Skyscraper with uh, The Rock? Unfortunately, I do, yes. And one of the key things was the poster or whatever it was. And it's like, wait, what? And it's the image of this... um, He's making a leap. Yeah, image of this uh, burning, towering inferno, if you will, and an open window and a a crane. And the the gap is something like... 100 yards or something? It's it's a long, inhuman thing. And The Rock just, with his prosthetic legs, leaps it. And people did like from the poster did like calculations of like okay mm. if he leaves at this angle and he weighs this much because he does he's the rock he weighs a lot mm-hmm. he would just smash through that window like <laughs> three stories below where that thing yeah. is it's the speed jump it's the classic yes. thing where physics doesn't make any sense like you don't hit a flat surface go up and then land on an equally flat surface at the same 
Like, yeah. mm. height. You need a ramp to go up and jump. It doesn't just go vroom and just leap over. Yeah, it goes but, oh, and goes straight over. The, like in the fucking Back to the Future Part 3, the train goes straight down because yes. that's an actual train going <laughs> off the edge. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, I think I've seen a lot talked about Steppenwolf because mm. I think he is a terrible villain in the first one. And the whole, like, it, it, they talk about the, the fear and the parademons can smell the fear. And that's how they get Steppenwolf because he's afraid. At this, so at this time it becomes, they can smell the mother box. Exactly. And they changed it to like, oh, no, no, they're not afraid. It's not fear. I can smell the mother box. Like, okay. Your mother's fine. box. Ugh. <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so weird, like Freudian bullshit. But. People think that the final act of this film, and not including the epilogue, like I said, we'll get to that, but people think that this is a big improvement, and people are like, oh my god, Darkseid's in it. It's like, is he though? Is Darkseid in this movie? He looks through a window. He's in it for about six minutes, and then he fights a bunch of Amazonians and Atlanteans and stuff. He loses... (laughs) And then fucks off, and they're like, oh, he has such presence on screen. Is that the, not the same uh, as Thanos in Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes. Yes, it is. Exactly. Like, don't... But people are acting like, oh, this is the most accurate, incredible portrayal of Darkseid, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, cool. I'm glad we got to see Darkseid. Seeing Darkseid on screen is really cool. You even get the Omega Beam thing underwater when he comes to Atlantis, and it's oh, like a zip, zip, zap thing. Great idea. The Omega Beams are cool, really cool in the comics because it just goes all over the place and melts people and explodes people and sends them back in time if you're Batman. But I, I think none of it works, basically. Mainly because Darkseid comes to Earth, does the whole thing, fights all the people, blah, 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 fights the United Atlanteans and the, the Amazonians and all the other ones and all this bollocks. And then he... Steppenwolf meets an Amazonian and calls her an Amazonian and doesn't think, is this the same planet as before? <laughs> I love- Haven't we met? I've literally met like your look, grandmother look, and he literally old, addresses her as an Amazonian. If you're old, you forget where you parked your fucking car. <laughs> it's not that oh, unusual. He forgot where he parked his anti-life equation. Yeah. Which also, by the way, they never fucking explain because it's for the comic book fanboys. The only people who give a shit about the anti-life stuff are the people who have read the comics, because this film does nothing to explain any of that stuff. And I think you're right again, Tim, that that's the kind of stuff that just washes over people. Well, the bad guy wants the thing to do a bad thing to destroy the world. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, What? He uncovers this giant glowing rune thing on Earth, I guess? For some reason? What you're saying is you would prefer if Wonder Woman explained what it was. In no, yes, I, I would love Gal Gadot to do incredibly stilted, badly performed exposition again, please. And also, they kick this off with Superman dying and shouting and it resonating across the universe or something, even though he's been alive for like 30 years. So why don't you just attack 30 years before when there wasn't a Kryptonian? Also, how do you know what a Kryptonian is like on Earth? That's never happened before. Why, why is Superman's death significant to anyone? He's the only example of that. They're fucking normal on Krypton. Even if you've met Kryptons before, they're not like Superman. Because they're not on Earth and they don't have the yellow sun and the, the atmosphere of the Earth to do the thing. So how do you know he's a significant character from his death? None of it makes sense. The whole plot doesn't make sense. And it all kicks off for seemingly no reason. And I get frustrated from 
second four of this fucking four hour movie. <laughs> the, of the never ending scream of Superman. Um, oh, yeah, that the, scene goes on for like four minutes. Uh, fucking hell. The, um, the Steppenwolf stuff is so frustrating. Uh, and the villains in general, because it 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 makes <laughs> it makes the fundamental problem, and and this is something that comic writers are guilty of also making, and it's something that the DC universe in the comics have made them have have done wrong for several years, in that it treats Darkseid like a big physical threat because he's a big rocky guy and you're like oh yeah he looks you know he looks a bit like the thing from the fantastic four so he's he must be a punchy dude it's like no if you go back and read and like fucking we talk about the mother boxes in this film i am someone who has a literal tattoo of a jack kirby mother box and yep. <laughs> if you go back to the That's jack point. Kirby... i've never smelt your mother box tim Maybe I can... <laughs> smells delicious um, is that where you, you aim the cologne on your mother box but it smells e- lovely exactly. um, <laughs> if you go back to the original Jack Kirby comics Darkseid is not the scary villain because he's a big physical threat he's a scary villain because he's an, he's an existential threat and he yes. is just as likely to show up in your living room sitting on your sofa and like that makes him amazing this film just treats him as this purely physical threat, and then it because that's all that Zack Snyder understands. Yeah, and then it fucking jobs him. the The time that we the most we see of Darkseid is him being defeated. Like that's not a good way to yeah. set up yeah. your big big bad for your universe. If the first time we saw Thanos, he was getting his ass handed to him, we would not feel the same level of like, oh, this guy. And frankly. Thanos is a poor imitation Darkseid. I think. True. I think. Agreed. Yeah. Marvel was very canny by getting Darks, uh, getting Thanos in nice and early because they knew that when DC got it. I wonder together, if that was a conscious. Effort. I think it absolutely like, was. Definitely. Hey, we we copied that DC the the icon arguably the iconic DC villain yeah. from the comics back in the day. We're gonna do ours first on the big screen. Yeah. So if they do it, they look like they're copying us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I absolutely think it was intentional. It's so disappointing. And and we, uh, as we record this a couple of days ago, uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, Fourth oh, World film got cancelled. And like, oh, uh, I. Hey, don't I mean, for, don't forget the trench. Uh, also the gonna, trench. Everybody's yes. gonna miss the trench. Um. And obviously, like. I, I, the comics exist and they will always exist. And those that is the we should we shouldn't treat comics like they're just fuel for movie adaptations. But equally, it would be interesting to see a really good filmmaker like Ava DuVernay adapt Jack Kirby and you and hopefully be quite faithful in her use of like how Kirby looks at those characters and and the visual stylings of him. You know, we got a little bit of that in Thor Ragnarok, which was very Kirby influenced in certain places, and it looked fucking amazing. And this film has no interest in that. It just sees Darkseid as a big physical threat, and arguably, it does make Steppenwolf more interesting than he was in the Whedon version. But it doesn't make him an interesting villain. It just makes him oh, that's the thing. Rather than the big guy who's here to conquer Earth, he's 
the big guy who's here to conquer Earth because he wants to get back in his boss's good graces. Like that's not it's it's the same it's the same way that when the uh Fantastic Four came out in the sixties, everyone was like, Oh my god, these characters are so interesting. They're two dimensional now rather than one dimensional. It's like they're still not fucking three dimensional. <laughs> you know, it's just that, you know, ah, oh, they they want to save the day and also they kind of bicker a little bit. It's like, wow, this is fucking mind blowing. Well, it's like, yeah, it's mind blowing if previously the superheroes just I want to save the day. What else you got going on? Absolutely nothing. It's like, okay, well, yeah, you've got a little bit more motivation now, but that doesn't mean you're necessarily an interesting character. Back to the four-hour thing for a second, just to tie off things and and mostly with Stephen Wolf here. I think it was it would be fair to say that there is a a statement, a mantra that holds true, providing it's interpreted correctly. And that is complexity equals quality. The more detailed something is, the more quality or the higher quality it will appear because it has clearly had more thought gone into it. It can't be as, as literally surface level, shallow, for one dimension or whatever it is. My story is very complex, therefore it's very good. Not, a, not all the time. No, obviously you can make it more convoluted, but complex makes it good. Um, my, my, uh, my visual effect has so much detail and there's so much complexity to it therefore it's good yes that can make it more realistic I can make it stick more, more spoons on him he'll look more complex <laughs> and there we have it complexity equals quality has been interpreted in the last <laughs> 10 years of visual effects as more spinning moving bits and people will actively Thanks, waste time creating these 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 creatures these visions these these moving particle suits that is lost on an audience it's only when you freeze frame it it's only when you see these three frames like oh do you see the wheel fold into that like, no i fucking didn't because it was going at three frames too fucking fast for me and i couldn't see anything and what's more i'm watching this on my phone um it's why people <laughs> say like with bumblebee it's some of the smoother designs because rather than complexity and quality, that's still there. That, that the complexity of like the the reflection of the metal, uh, denting, dirting, all that sort of like weathering that makes it more realistic. That's great, but you didn't make it complex outside of the design quality of just having the 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 silhouette being recognizable. So the whole like, oh, you could never have a Gen One design or G One design of um of the Transformers. They're too boxy, too cartoony. It's like why not? A car yeah. is a cartoon box. I don't understand. You couldn't have Cyborg looking <laughs> like he does in the comics. And it these things transform into cars sometimes. Yeah, so it has to be <laughs> They're like boxes you literally on wheels. put it through a fucking shredder and then reassembled it. It's like, I don't think you do. You're making more work for yourself and it looks like ass. Yeah, the Transformers don't look like they turn into vehicles. No. They look like they turn into like a drawer full of cutlery. Like yeah. They don't make <laughs> sense in terms of like all the all the square bits lining up and stuff like that. Precisely, and both Cyborg and Steppenwolf have that problem. I don't. I think the 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 visual effect of Steppenwolf in this film is superior to the other one because there's time put onto it. I think the amount of moving they spent bits... an extra hundred million dollars on the fucker. <laughs> yeah, there's that. I think it's more expressive. People and I, I I said this in my own review. I think people are more like, oh, it's much more expressive. His agenda is more that. It's like, yeah, because there's more development. It's, it's more complex. And I am here to bash you. Bash, bash, bash. Like um, Kieran Hines was saying, that's not the character I created because he was working on this thing was 
Sure, dog shot. I will get in your favor again. That's again, like Tim said, that's not 1D, it's 2D. It's got an extra level to it. And what's more, the visual design has more going on, but because he's got those human eyeballs we're talking about, you can make him a more expressive mm -hmm. character. So he can look fearful. He's kind of cute envious sometimes. Like, he gets I, a bit I scared. And when, like, he, when he oh, takes his... Poor little dog. His spoon skin off. When he takes his spoon skin off and he's talking to Darkseid, he looks a bit like a pug. Um, <laughs> he does! Stephen Wolf the pug. Stephen pug. Step pug yeah. wolf. Yeah. He's, 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 he's a weird one, isn't it? Because Stephen Wolf visually and aesthetically is more threatening and arguably more successful an individual than Darkseid is. Darkseid, as, as Tim mentioned earlier, Darkseid turns up, gets whomped for two minutes, uh, gets taken out like fucking Thor took out Thanos with the axe. No, not by Superman, just Ares. by a bunch of blokes, by the way. Yeah. By, well, by David <laughs> Thewlis. David Thewlis coming back, yeah. yeah. And then he's like, oh no, get me, oh no. It's like, get him back to the ship. We gotta run away. It's like, Really? Oh no, I've lost my keys on that planet. Did anyone <laughs> did anyone make a note of where I got where my I ass kicked? No, we we left too fast, man. It's like, well then he's not a threat because you've already bopped him before. Yeah. And yes, there was an army of hundreds, and it's like, okay. Well, it was interesting because because Steppenwolf turns up and just plows through both the Atlanteans and yeah. the Amazonians. And it's like, wow. He's clearly much stronger yeah. and better. And has clothes. That's good. Metal clothes is armor helps. Rather than something a vest. <laughs> also, if we go by the transitive property, Ares beat Darkseid, Wonder Woman beat Ares. Yep. No problem. There we go. No problem. Problem solved. Yeah. Have him show up. Fucking Flash will kill him. Uh, well, that's the thing. Her power levels are so inconsistent. Yeah, and, and he's not a threat because even if he turns up with his parademons and all the armies, like, even if you have, and this is the thing I... I I think this isn't a difference between... We've kind of strayed from the initial chapters, so I'll check that. So this isn't a difference between uh, the Whedon version and the Snyder version. Both of them are, in fact, aligned on this one thing. And that one thing is, when you guts yourself for Superman, you don't need no Justice League. Yeah. Because he's already like, not impressed. I can take your axe to the face. I can laser you. You know what? I, can just, I don't know why you can go through the portal and just destroy everyone there as well. He's that kind of person. It's like, but but if Lois died, well then I wouldn't know what to do. Oh, I guess I'd just be evil <laughs> because um, she's my one tenuous grip to reality. She's my North Star. <laughs> um, but as I said before, I don't think there's a lot of things to compare. There's scenes and minutiae, of course, and like, oh, Steppenwolf is different. Oh yeah, this these were. But again, it's just it's just sequel padding. It's just more more stuff and and continuity. It's like, well, you you sort of mentioned Dark Side, and you know, I'm doing for Dark Side. I think Dark Side is mentioned. Once by Steppenwolf in the in the Justice just once or twice yeah, yeah. in the Just yeah. Whedon cut it's it's a joke I must get the mother box I must this for Darkseid ah okay that's a bit of an ominous tease I wonder who that is this is full on like oh I can't wait for Darkseid to turn up and that's oh all. no wait here he is he's gone he's beaten see <laughs> yeah. you later okay um all, all the mystery and intrigue ruined cool yeah and and whenever he does turn up in whatever the future brings hopefully nothing um. It'll be a case of like, oh, here he is, the biggest, baddest threat. He's here with his anti-life equation. He punches even harder than the other yeah. ones. He doesn't have any weapons, though. No, he, oh, uh, he's got a, better watch out. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> we'll give Don't him a big magic axe like he's King Kong. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is interesting because like, when he's fighting at the start of the film, um, which again, th- th- that's what again interested me that though those two scenes are in both the the Joss Whedon version and the Zack Snyder version. The difference is that you actually see the the Olympians, as it were, the the Greek gods, as opposed yeah, to yeah, that that scene is greatly extended in yes. the yes. Snyder cut, and it's so Steppenwolf it's they're fighting in the, in the original. Oh God, it is! I completely forgot. Yeah, it, oh uh, Dark Side doesn't even show up. It. It's it's no, of course he doesn't. Of course he fucking doesn't. Idiot. Yeah, sorry, my apologies. That, that's the thing. That, 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 that's the point. They're so similar in that they Steppenwolf and Darkseid in that opening battle getting beaten up. If anything, Steppenwolf makes more sense in mm. a way than Darkseid. Um, Maybe that could be the reason Wolf why is... he's no longer in Darkseid's good favour and all that kind of stuff. Because he lost he against it. the Earth people before. Yeah. And Steppenwolf yeah, we're, we're is sequelizing kind of this as we speak. pretty much just a big physical threat. Like... You know, there's, I have no problem with the solution to Steppenwolf showing up is well, we punch him until he goes away. But like, that's Darkseid should be more than that. Yeah, Darkseid should be something. Darkseid is like, a philos- philosophical problem. Yeah, it's like, how do we beat this? It's like, we don't know how to beat this. That's the problem. That's why we. I mean, people always talk about this, like, um, historically, I don't know, this is the last point we're going to the next chapter. Historically, when you look at things like, I don't get it. The Roman Empire would have been really easy to defeat. I mean, I know they got the tactics of the big shield and the united front and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I get that. And, the, and the, the legion being laid out the way they are, but you could beat that by this way. It's like, yeah, you know that because you know how the Roman legion works. If they just turned up and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know. Oh my God, everyone's dead. That's the reaction. <laughs> the problem is with hindsight, you go, oh, I do understand now. You just use XYZ and superior technology and, and, and all that sort of stuff and the evolution of what we have now. Darkseid should be that presence. It should be baffling and the complex sequels quality thing again. He should be like, oh fuck, the audience doesn't know how to fix this. And that's the thing. The audience should be surprised when the resolve happens. And it shouldn't be like, oh, I really hope someone punches him really hard. Ah, oh, they did. Brilliant. Yeah, you've, you've literally shown the way to defeat Darkseid in, an earlier, in this film, which is you punch him until he goes away. And, yeah. that's in, and, and so you, there's no... Like, what is there's no suspense to any future film because you know yeah. exactly the way that they have to get rid of him. If anything, he's easier now because he was. Oh, we had a whole army of Amazonians and Atlanteans and humans and all, and a, and a pantheon of Greek gods. Oh my god, it was terrible. We got six people and we pretty much kicked the shit out of everything they brought to us. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that wasn't the whole army. That wasn't Dark Side. That wasn't. It was like he didn't have the anti-life equation. It's like, well, then preemptively go get him. Yeah. <laughs> What's I don't get it. What's the problem? Go through that hole you just created and go bitch slap him. It's not difficult because if all your problems are the same fucking solution every time, it's like, well, I guess we're just gonna have to uh spin the wheel, the wheel of fortune that has one answer on it, which is punch. And you're like, uh ooh, punch is the answer. Problem solved. Fucking hate the idea that they're green lanterns are just literally just giant green fists. Oh fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. Big boxing gloves. And, it, and it goes, at one it, point it, the green lantern ring looks like it's gonna go to dark side and then buggers off. Oh for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and it kinda makes sense, but oh fuck off. It goes back to the thing of like, well, what can Batman do in this battle? I don't know, pick up a gun. Because the like that's how we that's how we approach all our problems. I, I always have this problem with the Justice League in comic form, and I, I don't I you, you the plausible deniability, you just say it doesn't matter, it's fun. You know, Wonder Woman, you know, demigod flies the fucking superpowered. Superman, alien superpowered thing comes in. Green Lantern, superpowered cop from space comes in. 
Hawkman, giant hawk alien man with a fucking mace comes the fuck in. Um, Martian Manhunter, a fucking other shape-shifting alien comes the fuck in. Like, wow, well, this, this is crazy. Batman, rich guy in his pants. Fucking wonderful. What have you got, <laughs> Batman? I've got all these gadgets and this, I'm so fucking smart. It's like, what are you swinging in on exactly? It's just like, oh, I'm just going to come in here. And, and what are you going to do, Batman? I'm going to tell him a fucking riddle. That's how I usually solve it in Gotham. Someone tells me a riddle and I catch him out with things. Or I throw a coin and confuse someone. It's like, what are you... What have you got here? But if you're a strategician, that makes sense. And it's like, who's beside you? Oh, that's Cyborg. He can hack all the techniques. Oh, who's that? That's Shazam. He's literally, again, another demigod kind of person. That's the Flash. He's the fastest man. It's like, what are you bringing, Batman? I've got a... I've got, I've got a big spider. And it will, it will hook into things. It's Why does he have a hook. big spider? Why does he have a big robotic spider? What weird choice. What's it called again? Nightcrawler or something? The Nightcrawler, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it should be teleporting us. about. Yeah. Um, that, again, that's that's a, that's a minor point of contention. And if you and, and and as always, if you write it cleverly, you can make it work. Yeah. Of course, you can. Yeah, you, you take like fucking. There's there's dozens of of Justice League stories. Go back to the the Grant Morrison fantastic. Oh, Justice Morrison League nails run. every time. Yeah, yeah, so good. Let's move on to chapter five. All the King's sequels, because this that chapter is called All the King's Horses for. Because they couldn't put Superman's a big egg. Yeah, because Superman's a big egg and actually, all that kind of. It, it does kind of make sense because Humpty Dumpty is actually about a cannon. Yes. Uh, and they just treat <laughs> Superman like a big gun. <laughs> just aim him at them. Pajoom. Ah, Master Kent. Thanks. What got more? You must be Alfred. Um, so let let's let's find some positive, shall we? We're going to use this opportunity in this chapter to talk about what we liked the most about the Snyder Cut, whether that's changes that he made or the film in general. What did we enjoy the most? I, I can list off some things that I... Go uh, on, Tim. Go on, Tim. Kick us off. So it is a more coherent film in comparison to the... It the is. Weed it film. is. Agreed. It's more coherent. It makes... It doesn't have that tonal whiplash of things just... Of you well, being a- of you being able to tell so obviously, like okay, this is clearly a Snyder bit. Oh look, here's a scene that Joss Whedon wrote, etc. I like that it does more with Cyborg. I I think it could do even more and make a more interesting film. But you know, it's it's better than he. It's better than the character is treated in the the Whedon version. I like the weird uh, purple star thing that. Uh, um, Steppenwolf puts on the Atlantean's face, and it reads his mind and tells oh, him where the where the, the mother box is. I was like, "That's the a interrogation funky, spider. funky little design." Yeah, I, I I don't know where Steppenwolf was keeping it because he doesn't have any fucking pockets on his spoon suit. Spoon um, spoons. Uh, I was really oh, worried. The interrogation for a spoon. I was really worried. I was like, "Oh, that's a cool, fun little design." Wait a minute, it's a purple starfish-looking thing that goes on your face and reads your mind. Oh, is this yeah, the is this Zack Snyder's version of Starro? And then the the trailer for the Suicide Squad came out, and it's like, now that's a fucking Starro. Um. <laughs> and that's that's the key thing, though. I think you're right. I think that would have been his like, oh, we're going to turn out that's the Starro, 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 and Brainiac in one something. Sort of like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Um, but I find even that quite inconsistent because it's like, tell me where the mother boxes. I must know for dark side. Cool. I'm an Atlantean. I'm never going to tell you. Well, spider. And then he's like, oh! 
and it starts projecting a little image from his brain of where it is. I've seen it, bye-bye. Then he goes and interrogates the humans. Cyrus, tell me whatever you mean. You'll never find out about these things. Well, I'm just a spider then. And the spider just goes, eh, can't find anything here. But before he can do anything, Cyborg turns up and says, he's like, why are you interrogating them with words when you have the spider? <laughs> just, just go full Starro on there. Go spider, there. start there. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Tim, I know it's about good things, but they, they, they fall apart sometimes. Yes. <laughs> I think I've run. I, that's 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 my extent. <laughs> it's best. It's a. Uh, I would say overall, and uh, to to kind of jump back to the critical consensus, I think it is a better film overall. It's just way too self indulgent, and it still has a lot of problems. And and I think, I think the overall quality of the film is better. However, I still hate Zack Snyder's interpretation of these characters. Um, and obviously that's a more personal thing than, than trying to be step back and take an objective look and, and say like as a uh, like I I think it's a it's it's a film that does better in achieving what it sets out to do than the Whedon cut. I still think it has some major flaws in terms of its filmmaking, but we'll get into those. Mm. But arguably, it is a better film. I have a few. I went over the my review. And again, it's just the nature of more, not better necessarily. So there's more Cyborg. That's pretty good. He's actually given an arc. That's pretty decent. He's given an actual pr- bit of presence. Um, for a, He's very mature for a late teens, early 20s kind of character. Yeah, he's supposed uh, to be like wrong with that. 19, 20 years old, something like yeah. that. He's playing he's, college he's, he's, football. Yeah, and I think the nature of trauma in general and uh, a lot of pressure and stuff like that, some people can be forced in that kind of mindset. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. I think he's very well acted by Ray Fisher with what he's given. Um, I think also it's very straightforward at times. I mentioned in my review about the whole, like, oh, I have the power to everything. And he's listened to his father's speech about... Um, his, dad's, uh, you know, his dad's podcast. That his dad's him. podcast. On, on, a, on a fucking cassette. <laughs> um, and he's... Like talking about it and do twenty saying, year olds even know what cassettes are these days? No, I mean, he would have been born in like nineteen ninety six or even deck would have been. It would have been dated if uh, in my in the nineties when I was a kid. It would have been like, oh, that's something that uh, Macaulay Culkin used in Home Alone two. Two great. We're all using like mini discs and MP three players now, so this is literally obsolete technology. Why are you why are you recording on this really stupid nonsense? Anyway, anyway, that's fine. That's fine. The point is that Cyborg is given the speech by his father, which is a really reckless fucking stupid speech of you could do anything, sir. Mm. You could do anything. You could do this. You could kill everybody. It's like, why are you telling him this? He's a fucking It's the same teenager. Jonathan Kent bullshit. It is, it is, to be fair. <laughs> but then he says, but I think you can be good. Like, okay. And what does he do? He goes through the entire internet, sees the state of the entire world, the global economy, everything everywhere in this universe. Then sees one lady and says, She's struggling to pay her bills. I'm going to give her $100,000. That will solve all her problems because money is the answer to everything. And he does it in a way like he sees like some, a big stack of cash. That's how banks work in his head. Like fucking Tron. Ships, motorcycles, cars. <laughs> and then he just opens his hand and it grows into a big stack of money with her coins on top because you've got to keep that amount as well. Um, well done, you've won the Gotham thing. I thought, oh, well, actually they're trying to make it credible rather than she just gets investigated by the fucking IRS and has it all claimed from her. Um, <laughs> she's like, hey, you got $100,000. And I'm like, I hate to say it, everybody. Um, 
because I don't want to sound too ridiculous, but this movie doesn't understand money. Um, Wait, what? Just adding $100,000 to something or someone doesn't suddenly fix their living conditions or solution or situation. It ultimately doesn't do much of anything. That money, like anyone who wins the lottery ends up going back to their day job because you don't have the currency, the investment, the, te- the fiscal know-how to invest that money to basically do all the things people have been doing to game the system for years and not pay tax on it. What the fuck ever. So it's like the whole, here's a handout that will solve all the problems because it means I don't have to worry about you ever again. Go away. But technically, because Cyborg is a 19-year-old, that's fine. He can do that. He's a dumb kid. That's how kids think you solve the problems. So again, I think Cyborg mostly works. I think he's a, a good addition. He's, he's a, a genuinely sort of has a bit of nobility to him. He's, he's, he's willing to sacrifice himself. He loses things and blah, blah, blah. I think that's fine. Um, he's quite smart as well, which is nice. Ray Fisher is older than me, for the record. <laughs> and there it is. Back to fucking Greece. <laughs> he he would have been tw- 29 when he filmed, when it was released in, originally in 2017. Yeah. And is 33 currently. Which again, so, is no different grown from... Grown-ass man. Yeah, which is no different from how you cast Greece back in the day, or a lot of these sort of like CW kind of things. Like, give me some 30-year-olds to play these 17-year-olds. Get these really pretty yeah. looking 30 year olds. That's why I like 16, that's fine. Shazam and the <laughs> kids in it. It's like, hey, some actual teenage kids going like, hey, you know what we should do? This. And, it's like, and they have their own problems. They're complicated. And things. And I'm not going to say Shazam because Shazam's fucking great. But I still like what they did with Cyborg because it was more of it and it was a bit better. I like what they did with The Flash because what was interesting to me is the things I thought were funny and good about the Justice League film previously. I assumed that was just, uh, maybe that's just Whedon. In the same way you chalk up the good stuff in Jurassic Park to the CGI when actually it's the models. And you think, oh, it must, it must be this. It's clearly just injecting humor. There's actually a surprising amount of humor in the um, Justice League Zack Snyder version that fits because it's the humor that's not really the same quippy stuff. It's the same vibe as his dark stuff. It feels like it flows because it's still creepy because he's still like touching hot dogs while looking at a woman and obsessing over her from a distance like a fucking stalker. That was so weird. People Maybe. saw that and I'm like, oh, that's Iris and he's fallen in love. I'm like, he stroked her hair and nicked a hot dog. Like, really? Yeah. And she hasn't fallen in love with him. But... He's just seen her from a distance and is obsessed about her. And it's like, oh, this is yeah, that's unhealthy. Movie romance, Matthew. Yeah. Yes, entirely. But again, I think th- the greatest moment in that movie, both movies, is where he's running around to get the sort of drop on on Superman and his eyes slow turn his face. Like, that's fucking, I love that, is that the coolest. so much. When Henry so Cavill's good. eyes start moving and his neck just starts turning around. But like, then you cut oh, to Miller and he's shit. like, oh, it's like the always sunny scene where um, Charlie and Mac are looking at each other. I saw some the behind restaurant. the scenes of Ezra Miller filming that running thing. And he is literally trying to run in slow motion. He he's running like that on purpose, as if it's slow motion in real life, and then they slow it down even more. Mm-hmm. So he's literally going like and moving his <laughs> arms as slowly as he can and as mm-hmm. widely as he can, and doing all these silly facial expressions. Like you just move in real time, and then we'll, we'll slow mo it down, Ezra. It's fine. Uh, but that, that's more um, expensive. <laughs> well, you, yeah, we've only got a hundred million dollars to fix this. Oh no, it's only one of the most expensive films ever made. <laughs> But I still like what they did with The Flash. I think The Flash was still very much uh, a charming element. I thought he was funny at times. I thought it was decent enough 
worked solidly and was more developed. I mean, the whole his introduction with the the fucking slow motion sesame seed and that shit can get the fuck in the bin. I do not care about that at all. That could have been half the length of the film. Yeah, fuck that noise. But his erratic personality and things, I don't mind that. I think that was perfectly fine. That's great. Steppenwolf's additional bits, I don't mind that. I thought they're pretty good. And as Tim said, I have to agree, the fact it's a more coherent experience. It's long and it's arduous and it's thing, but it's still a movie. It's still largely... And also, I'm, I, I think it sort of works as the miniseries if you split it up. Not very entertainingly. And it's like the whole, it gets good after four episodes kind of thing. But it's structure-wise, kind of works. But I should point out, just because it does this, just because it kind of works, just because it's an improvement, doesn't make it automatically de facto good. It just means it was better than what we had, which was already a real fucking soup. It's, it's literally the case of, I was cooking a meal for you. Oh, okay, lovely. It was going to be a classic British roast on a Sunday. Oh, that sounds very nice. Thank you very much. What was the, what was the meat? Just, just roast beef. Oh, lovely gravy. All the trimmings. It was wonderful. Oh, what happened? Well, I was rushing and then I was really worried about how you think of it because I, 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 I just worried. Okay, so what did you do? I dropped it on the floor. Oh, fuck. Did you start again? No, I didn't start again. That's expensive. Fuck, start again? No, I picked it off the floor. I put it back on the plate and I served <laughs> it to you with dog hair in it. That's what you get. That was the Justice League we got in 2017. This is doing the, the version again. But when it comes out, you're like, yeah, that was a serviceable meal. Um, I didn't think you were going to serve me five Yorkshire puddings. That was a bit excessive. Um, also, I didn't think the beef would be cooked like this. It's a bit too bloody for my liking. I mean, like, it was practically fucking blue. That's not really a roast beef. I mean, it's some, for some people, that's really nice, but that's not for me. And your vegetables were all potato-based. That's a bit odd. I mean, for some person, this is the ideal meal, and I really appreciate it. I mean, you're Irish, Matt. That's, you should expect that at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. Mashed potato and roast potatoes and boiled potatoes, and it's all good. And chips. <laughs> um, and it's all like, that's great. But it wasn't for me. And it's like, how dare... How f- wasn't for you? This was the greatest roast dinner creation ever. It had the most roast and the most dinner. For fuck's sake, you cretin. That's where we are now with this. Here's something I did like. Okay. And I can't believe I'm saying this. Oh. At the end of this movie, I was like, you know what? I could go for a Ben Affleck film with a with a Deathstroke as the bad guy kind of vibe. That's fine. That's fine. I, I'd be down for that. Yeah. That little moment where you get Lex Luthor, his real name is Bruce Wayne, and all that kind of stuff. Totally, yeah. I, I would be very intrigued to see the Ben Affleck Batman movie. But that's not the same as I want more Snyderverse. That's, that's absolutely I not like the same. I like this element of it, and I wouldn't mind seeing more of it. Henry Cavill as like Superman, Affleck I'd like to see someone to, write to, it well. I would like Ben Affleck to direct that Batman <laughs> movie, or whoever <laughs> that's not Zack Snyder. Um, I also really like, uh, and we've we've talked about this before. I know, I think you guys agree. Jeremy Irons as Alfred, brilliant. That was one of my highlights. He, he, yeah. he has some he, he has some great lines in this. He's he's got a couple extra lines in in the Snyder side of things, and I think the the Batman Alfred side of things is is well done and mm. handled reasonably well, apart from all the guns and all the yeah, big big fucking spiders. I find Ben Affleck's Batman just so dull. <laughs> I, I I'm so glad that we're getting Pattinson, yeah. um, who I think will do much more interesting things. Yeah, that's more interesting to me. Yeah, which has apparently been confirmed to be set on Earth too. Well, what 
whether that matters or not, it doesn't particularly matter, but there you go. So is the Batman is on Earth, Earth, Earth one? No. I really hope it was a big theory. Is it Earth three? Is actually that makes sense. <laughs> Earth three, yeah, yeah. It's actually Earth three, and they're the the crime syndicate, and they're the bad guys, and it's always actually Lex Luthor is the good guy, and he's the, the evil Justice League the whole time. Yeah. So let's talk about our dislikes, our lowlights in Chapter Six. Something dumber. Usually, I'm something gonna... darker. I'm going to get right out here, right out ahead of it again, just like I did last time. Go on. The problem with this film is what I said earlier, the only thing that's different. (laughs) (laughs) It's all the continuity sequel fodder stuff. Because whether you like or dislike Zack Snyder's previous stuff is irrelevant. You shouldn't technically be here and out of morbid curiosity and, and masochism. But the thing that makes it bad, the thing I dislike, is all the setup for the stuff that's never coming. It's like, well, I would have done this. It's like, oh, that's great. That's great. But you didn't, and you weren't going to do that. There are elements of it. Like, and I know, I know, we, the thing I dislike most, we can't even talk about yet because it's, it's in the next chapter of what we're going to do. <laughs> because it's the end. I, it, I, I got, we got a message me, from me Tim. Me too. A live reaction message from Tim saying, oh, yeah, this isn't good. Oh, okay. Oh, fuck off, Zachary. And that was like, yes. That was the moment. I'm like, Tim's got there. We're good. We're good. Um, because again, yeah. there's a lot to like about this movie because it's fine. And there's a lot to dislike about the movie, making it just fine. That's the problem. Again, we can quote the minutia. We can talk about all the different bits pieces. Oh, I don't like this. And that can really be filtered down to, you just don't like that Zack Snyder film. And that's nothing wrong with that. Jack, again, prime example, will be like, I imagine, don't like the slow-mo, I don't like the character, I don't like the nihilism, I don't like any of that. It's like, that's fine. That means you don't like Zack Snyder films, which this one is a prime Agreed, example yes. of. For me, the reason I don't like it is because it's like, this is it, this is the final. And as, as mentioned before, this should be the send-off. This should be the, like, the last parting gift of like, and now my universe is complete. Case in point, I watched Godzilla vs. Kong. That feels like if the MonsterVerse ended there, I'd be like, yeah, that's a fair ending. I'm okay with that. If there's more of it, fine. If there isn't, that's okay. I'm okay with that. This is what that Snyder cut should have been. Because it's not the Snyder cut, as Tim mentioned before, the two and a half hour whittle down what Warren Brothers is happy with. The compromise between director and studio. That's not what this is. That's, here's all the stuff I was going to do, and I want to do tons of more. I want to do more stuff. It's like, I was going to paint this room blue, but I thought that might be a bit oppressive, so I did it a very, very light wash. Like a very light blue. Fuck that. I went royal blue and put a banner in the middle and then dark blue at the bottom. It's like, yeah, you went overboard. It's like, no, I didn't because I wanted it this way in the first place. I said, no, you would never have painted it like this. You're doing it to be spiteful, vindictive, and, and prove a point. I don't know who to, but you're proving a point. And that is what irks me about this movie, I think. That's the thing I dislike most about this movie. It's, it's the same stuff that uh, critics raked Iron Man 2 over the cold for mm. where it's like oh it's just pure, it's all just setting up for the avengers and it's too much time spent doesn't actually that. tell its own story yeah. Yeah. and yeah. while that sort of course corrected amazing spider-man 2 did not mm. same principle yeah exactly and and i and i am someone who defends iron man 2 to a certain extent because i i defend I, amazing spider-man 2 as well i got i got all the shit for that you're, you're wrong Matt. yeah yeah tim T- fine yeah. whatever um matt you're wrong and again that comes down to I don't mind the things that John Favreau does in his films, and I find the characterization 
in those films for the most part fine whereas in these films I, I dislike that stuff and also Iron Man 2 isn't fucking four hours long <laughs> if it was it would be a lot worse yeah yeah so I'm going to pick out one thing that irked me and it covers it covers two things in the film but it's a central topic and it's fan service wankery yep yep two things in particular and you're both going to go, oh, yeah. Black suit Superman. Yep. Flipping them off. Fuck that. Fuck that. They're just doing that because it's from the comics. And they tried to do Death of Superman previously with a bodged up Doomsday. And they fucked it up. So they were like, oh, we can't get Henry Cavill back for reshoots. We'll just color correct him into a black suit. Which he goes and picks from his fucking ship. It's not a recovery suit. And I know Tim and I talked about this before. It's not a recovery suit because he's like, oh, struggling to get back into his powers and stuff. He's just come back from this, like, essentially medically induced coma thing that's the Kryptonian. When Superman dies in the comics, it's actually a recovery coma type thing. Makes no sense. It's comics. This one, straight up dead. They don't mention the Kryptonian coma because they don't know anything about Krypton. So they're like, fuck it. He'll go back to the ship, go get his suit. Like, when he comes back and is a badass superhero, Surely that's the moment you want him to be in the red and the blue, the symbol of hope and all that shit, and be fucking Superman and kick some ass and be America personified. Nah, the, there's the black suit in the comics, right? And people really like black suits and, and all that kind of stuff. So he could look even more like Batman and just, just put him in a black suit that's just a recolorized version of his normal fucking outfit. I hate it. It's a misuse of that suit. It's basically what Spider-Man 3 did to the black suit for Spider-Man, and yeah. it pissed me off. The second one, which is worse, is Martian fucking Manhunter. Ooh. Because Martian Manhunter, I love. He's one of my favourite DC characters, one of my favourite really? members of the Justice League. I've Again, never gotten into him. Yeah. He, Justice League Unlimited. He's brilliant oh, okay. in that show. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I love, that's why I love Jon Stewart. That's why I love Marsha Manhunter. Uh, he did have a solo book, I want to say about 10 years ago, that I really enjoyed. For the life of me, I can't remember who wrote it or anything like that. I apologize in advance. But he had a solo book a few years ago, post-New 52, but before New, New DC or whatever they called it. He had, a, he had a solo book a few years ago. It was good. And I, I like him as a character. And John Jones, which is his real quote-unquote real name uh, he had one a little bit more recently as well with riley rossmo on art which i have not got read round to reading but it looks the, the art is gorgeous i can't remember who wrote it um but yeah he's i think I, he's a really interesting character i think he's one that because he's so often on teams doesn't get the focus that he deserves um and i think he's a he's a difficult character perhaps to write because of that uh but but yeah he's uh, like i'd love love to see a more complex Martian Manhunter. Well, the fact that he literally ruins basically the most emotional scene in this entire <laughs> movie and undermines Martha Kent talking to Lois Lane. And it should be, as I said, the most emotional scene in this entire movie because it's about the death of Superman. And they are the only two people in the world who can relate to this loss and understand that Clark Kent is dead as well as Superman. And they are two women that are bonded by us. They are the two women in Clark Kent's life. 
bonded by the love of their son and the love of their partner. And then, nope, Martha Manhunter. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing, Zack Snyder? What is, or Chris Terrio, whoever's decision that was. I get that he was trying to, like, convince Lois to go and save Superman and all that kind of stuff. Don't do that under the... That makes you look evil. Why are you disguised as her recently deceased partner's mother? That's Some insane. Martian manipulator. <laughs> and it's time to get onto that scene. I've segued myself into the final chapter. Epilogue. A.K.A. The Reach Around. <laughs> because I'm going to talk about Martian Manhunter first before we go back to the nightmare stuff because that's what we need to fucking talk about. That final scene with Martian Manhunter is the clunkiest scene maybe in this entire movie and that's saying something. So, to put it into perspective, and like I said, we'll talk about the nightmare final epilogue bit with the Joker and stuff in a second. I played just the epilogue to Emma the other day no context no nothing it's like oh this is the extra bit from from the snyder cut here you go for context emma is jack's partner uh she is a nurse she does not give a fuck (laughs) (laughs) yeah my fiance emma has read a handful of comics in her life mostly because i've gone here read this it's good and she's enjoyed a few things but she is not a dc person she doesn't know the characters very well she hated batman v superman I don't think she's even seen Man of Steel. She likes some of the Batman films. She's more of the typical kind of public, uh, you know, Avatar. movie guy. She doesn't have the intrinsic comic. She doesn't have a fucking mother box tattooed on her. She doesn't have, <laughs> you know, decades of relationships with Green Lantern or, you know, years of watching the cartoons like the three of us do, all that kind of stuff. She doesn't have the, the baggage and the history there with the DC characters. And I played her the nightmare sequence and then the post dream. Bruce Wayne waking up and being like, hey, Bruce Wayne, you need me? He's like, why isn't Bruce Wayne like, yeah, where the fuck were you? <laughs> who? First of all, who the fuck are you? And second of all, and he says, who are you? And he's like, well, when Earth needs a protector and blah, 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 and just goes on this like tirade for like three minutes, doesn't answer the question of who are you. Then he fucks off. He's like, oh, no, 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 wait, 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 well, before I go. Some call me the Martian Manhunter. She does not sound friendly. You didn't want to go on a second take of that and say like, oh, some call me the Martian Manhunter, but you can call me John Jones. And then he transforms into the the general, General Sedgwick, turn into like the human form and be like, hey, man, I'm on your side. Instead, he goes, some people, who calls you the Martian Manhunter? Who the fuck would call you that? That's a terrifying nickname. Men that I hunt. <laughs> I have killed many human. I mean, um, um, stopped many uh, criminals on your planet. I mean, Earth. I mean, here and my home world. Shit. If, uh, call me Martian Manhunter. If Batman was terrified about a guy called Superman who's from around here in America. <laughs> There's a 1%, 1% chance, chance, Matthew. The guy's called Martian Manhunter. I guess he's on our side. That's, like that's got to be like a 35% chance at least. <laughs> Easily. Uh, and he... Not only does he have all of Superman's powers, he also could appear to be anyone and read your thoughts. But don't be paranoid about it. Don't worry. 
Um, it's the fact that but everything's fine. Been hiding as the general who is giving Superman a load of shit for a while. I, mean, I know that was kind of the plan. I think that was quite a nice as a plan to have Cedric uh, as as Martian Manhunter. But I'm like, but that doesn't read with the character we've had. Even if the, even if this was the plan, it's like start. he didn't plan it, Matthew. But apparently oh. they did plan. And this one thing I yeah, but... they did plan from the start, just badly. But they didn't, though, did they? Also, I fucking oh, hate that the design that they have for Martian Manhunter is oh, so bad because it's it's like. This, this, the thing you have to remember about Martian Manhunter is that that is not what he actually looks like. His Martian form is a lot more alien, and this is what he yes. looks like to make himself appealing to appear as a superhero, make yes. himself palatable to the. It's it's his kind of. It's like I'll meet you halfway. I'm still going to be green and not look. You know, I might have like a particularly heavy brow and and stuff like that, and I'm going to look like a circus strongman. Mm. Uh, but this is this is me appearing as something that you can relate to and and much more human than I normally am. And they it just look it's that over designed, it's the fucking spoon suit all over again. <laughs> like, ah yes, well we'll give him we'll give him those those things that he has on his costume, but we'll make them like weird skin markings that are like uh, carved into him and it's like, so... oh, I hate this. I hate See, you. It's not good when the Supergirl TV series does a better Martian Manhunter than the Justice League movie. Yep. So, probably the moment most listeners have been waiting three hours for at this point. Same for the film. Exactly. Well, four hours in the case of the film. Let's talk about the nightmare and then let's wrap things up, shall we? Because... I don't know if you noticed, this is a reshoot. This is a Zack Snyder original. <laughs> you might be able to because... tell that because fucking Batman and the Joker never actually share a shot. <laughs> yeah, then they never, they never actually. Yeah, which well, Jared Lee is off somewhere else, and yeah, whatever. I think there were some scenes where Zack Snyder directed over Zoom or something like that oh, because God. of lockdown yeah, stuff and all this bullshit. There were a couple of the Flash scenes he had to direct remotely and be like. Yeah, put the camera there. Perfect. That that looks fine on my phone. Yeah, that'll do. But yeah, their nightmare sequence. And I saw this unironically described as the best scene the Batman and Joker have ever shared on screen. And to those people, I say, get in the fucking bin. You're never allowed to watch a Batman film again. You were inherently wrong. Every other interaction with Batman and Joker <laughs> in all... Any version of this uh, fucking I continuity. I would include Joaquin Phoenix poking that kid's face through a fence is probably better as well. <laughs> I, I absolutely, I include the fucking Gotham bullshit as well. <laughs> because this, it, uh, oh, Jared Leto's, he's so much better now. No, he's not. He's, he just hasn't got the stupid fucking tattoos. Instead, he's got a SWAT vest on Covered and he's talking badges. about. Yeah, covered in badges because that he's killed a bunch of cops. But that's that because that's cool, you see. Because he's edgy and cool, he killed policemen, which makes him a bad guy. Except he's on their side now because they need him because because dark side. You see, you have to team you enemy of your enemies, your friend, right? I like that except, the most uh, the most the biggest threat to an evil Superman. Behind or in front of an evil dark side is Batman with a gun and Joker with a gun. It's like, right? It's, what I mean, else, it's, what have we got there? 
Also Mira, I guess. It's the, it's uh, the fucking Suicide Squad all over again. It is! Where, okay, so I... It's two different points. One, I hate this, this film, that the Zack Snyder version of the DC Universe is so fucking obsessed with evil Superman. Yeah. Oh, wow, I wasn't yeah. even there yet, Tim, but yes. Yeah. You have... Drives me fucking ballistic. You have Man of Steel, where... It's Superman can't decide whether he wants to show up and be a hero or not, and then at the end he does. <laughs> but also, there's evil Kryptonians, so you know they, ooh, you know, there's controversy there. Superman <laughs> snaps a motherfucker's neck. Yes, and he also kills well. kills someone. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, then you have Batman versus Superman, which is all about like, oh, but maybe he's evil, and maybe you know, maybe we need to take him out. And and Batman has these dreams where there's an evil Superman, so like, oh, maybe this. Maybe this is prophetic. There's a 1% chance. There's a 1% chance. Um, but it's fine because at the end of the time, he sacrifices himself and it's like, well, I guess he's, you know, he's dead now so that, that that future clearly won't come to pass. Then you bring him back and you have him fight the Justice League when he gets resurrected because, of course, oh, he's, his mind is adult. He's no, no way for him to tell friend from foe. His most base instinct is to lash out and attack everyone uh, and he needs that one human that he's imprinted on like a baby duck in order to bring him back <laughs> to, to to civility, and then at the end of this, and then you have you also have Suicide Squad, which is ah, what if Superman deci- what if Superman decided to go and rip the roof off of the White House and kill the president? Well, we've got this group of people who can defeat him. Really, what can they do? Well, this guy can shoot. Well, they all have guns. Yeah, and this this person uh can has a baseball bat, and uh, yeah, it's it's great. Like, and then you get this film. This man's sort of a crocodile, I yeah. guess. He'll do. You get this film. You get the fucking nightmare thing. It's like, oh, it turns out that Superman dying and coming back to life and us all being friends now wasn't enough to save us from evil Superman. And also, our secret weapon in the fight against evil Superman, this this angry clown. <sighs> Every so, I I was watching this movie and I've been. Again, benefit of the doubt as I've been the whole time and thinking, okay, there are lots of positives here. It's not good, but it's definitely better than it was. It's perfectly serviceable. Then I was like, but we're we're at the end of the film and the, the trailer very heavily pushed this whole Joker shit and I haven't seen it yet. And then it's effectively a, a, a post- We live in a society. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a post-credit sequence which they basically put at the end rather than at the end of the end. And you're like, okay. And I was listening to it and there's so much fan service in terms of just acknowledging nothing. So it's like, oh, I'm talking about Jason Todd, but oh, only some people are I'm talking about. And so, yes, yes, thank you very much. You said a boy wonder yeah. to do a man's job. And then it's the quote that follows that. Where Batman oh, says... Oh my God. Batman's line. Please I, go yeah, ahead, Matthew. It, I, had to, I had to pause it and show it to my wife. I said, you know, I'm not going to do the Batman voice. You know, it's please, funny please do. that you would talk about the people who died in my arms. Because when I held Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn. and she, was, she bleeding was bleeding and dying, she begged me with her last breath that when I killed you, and make no mistake, I will fucking kill I you. Will fucking kill you. I'll do it now. That I do it slow. I'm gonna honor that promise. And then there's a long pause where Leto does some acting. And he's, oh, you're good. You almost had me. The problem is threefold. Problem number one. That doesn't make no sense. <laughs> problem number two. It's a fairly big problem, number one, yeah. yes. I, it's like, so Harley Quinn's dead, yes. And whatever it was, it was pretty fucking 
climactic and chaotic and crazy and cool and you wish and you could see Joker's it. Joker's responsible for it? Sure, why not? So she turned on him? Yeah. And then you got point number two. Batman is more than happy to kill the Joker when he's not useful anymore. Except he's not useful at all. Uh, I believe he has something in his possession that will help everybody. Whatever that is. Yeah. What um, I... And well, yeah. <laughs> what Just noises from me. I, I imagine he's holding. He's holding uh, fucking uh, Superboy uh, hostage or something. Um, and then there's thing number three, um, which is that Jared Leto's Joker and Harley Quinn doesn't make sense. Harley Quinn is a spectacularly interesting character. Um, Often spectacularly misinterpreted for the record. Entirely. Um, <laughs> PhD-wielding psychotherapist and analyst who is corrupted by falling for this one prisoner. It's almost like a, a, a um almost like a Stockholm syndrome situation where she's just yeah, yeah. yeah at her own against her own interest with a very abusive individual and then breaks out of it and realizes she is better than it uh, than she's given credit for and things like that. And that's explored most perfectly. Um yes, it's very well uh, well done in Birds of Prey, very poorly done in Suicide Squad. Perfectly done in the Harley Quinn animated series, which I fucking love. Um but there's this weird idea that there's this wonderful, dynamic Bonnie and Clyde power couple. And even that sentence, that Bonnie and Clyde power couple, doesn't make sense. Bonnie and Clyde were a projection of a good couple. They were really at, at, at odds with each other. They were very, very dysfunctional. Um, people think, oh, it'd be great. It would be like going to town on each other all the time. It's like they didn't have sex. That was kind of part of the problem with Bonnie going and Clyde. Going to town on each other. <laughs> <laughs> you heard. <laughs> anyway, so people like, it's like, you know, I, I'm going to tell you that you know, I'm going to fucking kill you, Joker. And Harley Quinn told me to kill you slow and I will. And he's like, you mentioned her name. Oh God. Oh no. I see what you're doing. You're trying to rile me up. Very good. It's like, why would you care? You have never cared about this. There's nothing it, I have seen yeah. in the multiple iterations of your character that make me think that you and Harley Quinn have anything. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Joker, at all. Joker does not care about Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn cares about Joker. And then it's she one way, yeah. up. Yeah, he is manipulating and abusing her. Precisely. But it's like, you can have someone who's like, oh, no, no, I need that abuse. I need someone to abuse because I can't abuse Batman because he's not a, he's almost immune to it. But Batman's like, oh, another word. Oh, go on, say it again. I'll fucking, oh, you want to kill me? I'm your best friend. I'm going to reach around. Ooh. Oh, fuck off. That line, that line, and the reason I mentioned this epilogue, aka the reach around, I played that to Emma. Yeah, and and she just she just had no way to react to it. <laughs> like, well, I'm I'm your best friend. Who's gonna give you a, a reach around? And it cuts, and Affleck has just stood there, and then Geraldita goes, anyway. <laughs> Harley Quinn died. <laughs> what, what do you mean, anyway? What the fuck kind of line? What kind of joke is punctuated by silence? And then, anyway. <laughs> What the fuck? Take and this Emma was card. Like, it will make you immune. Like, Wait, is this fuck? is is this the same Geraldito's joke? I'm like, I think so. He looks completely different. He's done his makeup. I guess he's, he thinks he's going out. Like, I don't know. Is that blood on his mouth? I don't fucking know. Why is he offering to give Batman a reach around? Is that supposed to be a joke? Is that the whole point where he's like, he's a joker, but he's not funny? Ha ha. There's the joke. I don't know because none of this shit makes sense. And he's like. 
have the car and does the little like little card trick thing, which like, is less good than the uh, card trick in uh, One Division. Ant Man, yeah, or One <laughs> Division, yeah. Jimmy Woo. <laughs> he just takes a card and goes and blows on it. I like that. The Joker is so cr- terrible at magic. He goes, oh, it's like wow, you are terrible at this. It's like, I know, um, but it is oh, it God. is the line of um, what are you gonna do? Kill me? It's like yeah, Batman kills everyone. Yeah, this is not the the this is not like why hasn't he killed him already? This isn't the interaction between Heath Ledger and Christian Bale. Like, what would you do without me? What would I do without you? We would complete each other. That's not what this well, is. Hamill, Hamill and Conroy, the same kind of Precisely. thing. Precisely, yeah. and this is not We're destined to do this forever, forever yeah. Batman. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but this is not who these people are. It's like he's got one guy who he's never ever squared up against. We just know that one point he killed someone important in his life because reasons. Again, unless you know the comics. We don't know if that's the continuity. No, none of this makes sense yeah. if you're not a DC fan. Nope. Yeah. And then you've oh, it's referencing the Batman v Superman thing when we saw the the graffiti on the Robin suit, which is a thing they linger on for like five seconds and then never actually mention. So it's like we're assuming it means something. What? We're assuming. So is that Jason Todd? Was that Dick Grayson? Are there multiple Robins? You're opening up a lot of fucking Pandora's boxes here <laughs> that you're not addressing at all. Precisely. And then you get to the situation with, uh. Are you gonna do kill me? I will fucking kill you. Oh, it's like, it's like yeah, yeah. This, why hasn't he killed him? This is a Batman who Snap was willing neck, to kill Superman. Why hasn't he killed chance. the fucking Joker? And there's there's a ninety nine point nine percent chance that the Joker is a terrible fucking. He's got the badges of the cops. He's murdered. Yeah, kill him now. Kill him ten years ago. What the fuck have you been doing? You, apparently, you've been Batman for like thirty years at this point. Yeah. Well, he says twenty years to Alfred, whatever the fuck it is. I, I do, I do think. It's... Kill the fucking Joker, for God's sake! It's interesting that you end up with like, oh, Arthur's dead. There's no Aquaman. Wonder Woman dead. Oh my God, Joker will fix it. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Do you know why? Because Joker's cool and edgy, and Zack Snyder was trying to be cool and edgy, and he cut the trailer yeah. to do the We Live in a Society thing because it would get people talking. It would trend on Twitter. Ugh. Yeah, we all did. It. We all took the it. The dead cat situation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's bollocks. Yeah. I hate this film. I hate Zack Snyder. I hate the two-hour version. I hate the four-hour version. I hope this DCEU dies forever in a bin in hell, and we get cool, interesting spin-offs like Birds of Prey and Shazam and other stuff that can be fun and interesting and well-written and include representation of people of colour, and I hope we get a fourth-world thing that isn't this fucking Zack Snyder bollocks. So here's the thing. Now, that was my closing statement. I don't know if I was clear enough. I, oh, no, I, I got it. I'm, I'm literally going to... I see it as a moment I'm, I'm where, where, where Jack has a moment and leaves the room and we keep talking and Jack comes in and says, you're right, another point! And I think it's fair to do that. Here's what I think is going to happen next. This is where we get into prediction territory, where we've been wrong in the mm. past because we were convinced we would see um, Dark Side blow up Krypton. We did not. That's quite interesting. Because I might be saving it for later. Um, Warner Brothers, like many studios, is um, a committee. You have a head of a studio, sure. You have a board of executives, sure. Nobody knows what's going to be popular. You just try and wing it as best you can, and 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 uh, you know, read the room as well as read the rooms, as it were trying to figure out what's going to be successful. It's marketing and analytics and blah, blah, blah. And it's never always correct because the public suddenly just shifts at the last minute and you can never tell what's going to be popular. Fair enough. 
However, Warner Brothers and DC, both in comic form and film form, tend to do that thing I mentioned previously of kind of gaslighting you and say, that was the plan all along. That's always been my plan. Um, whereby you end up with shit. Some people really like this. Some people really like this. We can't have both. Why can't we have both? It would be too messy and they're very confusing. We barely got one rudder in the thing, but this one made this much money and I like money. <laughs> Release all of it. So it's like, well, we have seven Batman comics. It's like, what do you mean? Well, I've got a Batman story called Batman. That's a book you can buy called Batman. Okay, that's fine. I'll buy that for my son. Problem solved. No, 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 I'm not done yet. That Batman comic is about Batman. Like Batman now? Yes, Batman now. Batman's adventures today. Okay. There's also a comic called Detective Comics. Oh, okay. What's that about? Batman. When? Like different time time? No, no. Same Batman. Also today. His things he's doing in his spare time also today. It's like, right. Okay, that, okay fine. So there's two Batman stories. Uh, is one more important than the other? Nope. Both important. Both, both canon. Both accurate. Just providing to different audiences, kind of. Right, okay. What's this one? This one is called... Um, I don't think I any of the names. Batman and Robin. Okay. Is that an, an older one or a newer one? He's got Robin. No, no, no. Same thing, same day. Right, okay. What's this one called? <laughs> same day. <laughs> same day. He goes... It all happens in a 24-hour period. He's a guy with seven jobs and they're all Batman. Um... What's this one? This one's called um, uh, Batman colon something gritty. Yeah, there's, there's, there's Batman Eternal was a recent one. Yeah, was oh World's Finest. That's what I'm thinking of. That's World's Finest. Like, What's yeah. World's Finest? It's him hanging out with Superman. Okay, when's he doing that? It's like, again, that's featured past. No, no, same day. That's like same day. Okay, so all, he does all these adventures at the same time. I remember that I talked to a guy at a... also. There's there's so there's um there's Earth One Batman. <laughs> there's Earth Two Batman. Yep. There's um, the heavy metal stuff that's going. So that's, like, so that's like a parallel universe, right? So if they all went mental, and it's basically like the. Do you remember the comic like magazine series? Have no, no, neither do I. But so it's kind of like that. It's kind of like Mad Max, right? But like the Joker is kind of like a Judge Dredd character, but it's like Mad Max and Batman is in the future, and all he's fighting all the demons, right? Is it so? Is this the same Batman? Yeah, it can't, it's basically the same. Different Batman. day, same day, same day, sort of same Di day. different universe, same day. <laughs> I remember talking to someone in the comic shop in Norwich about it, and he said, so let me get this straight. Your problem with Batman is you can't figure out how you can fit it all into his week. I said, yes. And he said, not the fact that he is just a rich guy who runs around punching criminals and has all these inventions. That, the, the, the suspension of disbelief for you is how he fits it into his schedule. And I was like, yeah. yes. And here's the thing. That's how the public sees it too. <laughs> you can have a Jared Leto Joker you can have a Joaquin Phoenix Joker. You can have technically a fucking Flash movie crossover and Jack Nicholson comes back and does the fucking Joker again. Because they just go, oh, cool, a Batman. It doesn't matter to them. A Lego Batman is no different from a fucking George Clooney Batman. It really doesn't matter. It's only to us who are trying to keep track and categorize this and catalog it for some fucking reason because that's what the studios have started saying. Well, because that's built into us from decades of comics. Precisely. And because they started saying we're going to do the same thing and then said, oh, we're not actually doing that. We said, but you were told us we we're doing that. So we paid attention like you were doing that. And we just, we just started. And then you get very frustrated. But everyone says, why are you frustrated? Calm down. Here's a different movie. Here's an animated Batman. It's like fucking, oh, for God's sake. And the point is it can all coexist. 
much like the comics. It can all be the same day, Batman, because it's all fucking nonsense. It's fine. It doesn't matter. But that's why I think the DCEU will continue. And I hate to say it, I do think they're going to run with it in name only. I think you're going to get the Suicide Squad. I think you're going to get Black Adam and Shazam 2 and the Flash movie and all this stuff. And they'll do what they do in the comics. They'll say, you can have all of it. And so, well, how does that explain this? Don't worry, we'll release yet another comic to explain that as well, which then creates more loopholes and more continuity issues. And then we'll have a crisis event to try and fix it, which makes it more confusing, and then unwrite it again and put it back together again over and over and over and over. And that's how it works because there are so many writers, so many artists, so many different extra people being put in to see this vision, to try and counteract why sales are dwindling on a certain character's book. And if you think you're getting a little bit of headway with someone like, like, you know, Red Hood and the Outlaws, and you're like, okay, we've got somewhere with this now, I think. Maybe it's sort of working. Slap back into a fucking Batman story for a couple of issues. Throws it off kilter entirely. That's where you end up. That's where we're getting kind of with the Disney Plus stuff. Well, that's a different thing entirely. But I think the, the, the where we're going next is all of it. Or all of it. We're going to get more high prestige dark stuff like Joker to try and get the awards. We're going to get more sycophantic Snyderverse stuff to get all the dark, you know, fucking edgy edgelord douchebags on board. We'll get more colorful stuff that talks about things with, um, you know, uh, people of color at the helm of making it and strong, prominent female characters in the, at, the, at the forefront of the story because it will sell to a demographic and they want to just keep selling to everyone. You don't like chocolate? We've got dark chocolate. Don't like that? We've got white chocolate. Don't like that? We've got fucking organic chocolate. Don't like that? We've got milk chocolate. You know, fucking orange chocolate, milk, mint chocolate. It's like, I don't really like chocolate. Well, then we've got non-chocolate chocolate. It's like, how can that be the case? We've got non-dairy <laughs> chocolate. We've got all kinds of things. Just buy our fucking products. Yeah, I think it's fascinating because DC has always had the problem with comics, that their universe wasn't built to cohere together in the same way that the Marvel yeah. Marvel was, when it started in the 60s, ignoring kind of the earlier Marvel stuff um, and the way that they kind of brought in Captain America, who was a much earlier title, and various other things that they brought in uh, from the past. But, but when Marvel, as we think of it now, started in the 60s, those books were written so that they connected together, that it was very deliberate that the, the, the Fantastic Four lived in New York and Spider-Man would occasionally swing by and you'd have comics where oh, something big's happening, we'll jump around the universe and go like, oh, look, here's Doctor Strange peering out of his study window and going, oh, something big's happening across town. <laughs> but hopefully, but I, I know the Fantastic Four are taking care of it. You know, X-Men up in outstate New York going, oh, yeah, it looks like something weird's happening in Manhattan. But uh, all right, we've got our own problems. Anyway, it was built like that to cohere. The DC universe didn't care about that. The characters are a lot older and were made for the most part in a time where that wasn't there was no idea of like having continuity between different characters and because also they're based in things that aren't real cities yeah so real um, world events don't matter and it was only when they were like hey we could make a lot of money if we told some stories of having batman and superman team up okay we'll make it a comic called world's finest like, does that matter to the stories that we're telling in Batman? No, not really. Does it matter to the ones we're telling in Superman? No, not really. Um, just tell them. It's fine. Uh, oh, then we'll have a Justice League. And then it was only once Marvel started doing what it was doing that, that DC started saying, oh, okay, well, we should probably think about how all these stories fit together. 
and that's why they continually have to have these crisis and zero hour and crisis on infinite earths and infinite crisis and all these things to try and massage their universe together into a coherent shape and it's funny that the films have kind of mirrored that where marvel has come along with a coherent plan of like okay we're going to start with iron man deliberately going to build this universe so that it has room for these other characters and dc has gone okay well we had dark knight that was a big, big success but we don't want to start the universe there but we also don't want to abandon it so okay we'll get Zack snyder to come along and make man steel christopher nolan as a, as a producer okay well that kind of worked but it kind of didn't okay well we'll do this other thing then we'll do this other thing. and it's got to the stage now where like matt says they're making quite a diverse slate of films upcoming um I hope that continues. I hope that there is Agreed. an interesting I, I movies for everyone kind of thing. I think that temporarily they will give up on the idea of doing a Justice League. I think this will stand for a while. And then, given enough time, they'll come back round to it and they'll try and do kind of almost like a soft reboot of the universe once people have run their contracts and they can recast them they'll kind of go okay now we're doing one where we've got a plan from the start even though they probably won't um and we're gonna we're gonna build up in a more marvel style but i think for the for the foreseeable future i don't think there will be a coherent universe but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing agreed <laughs> to put it simply well ladies and gentlemen this has been the breakdown of the Snyder Cut, courtesy of the sequelizers. You're welcome, slash I'm sorry, depending on how much you enjoy us ranting about Snyder and all this kind of stuff. But we thought we'd had to do it. It's a little bonus extra interseason episode for you. But don't worry, folks. We'll be back very soon with some season eight. We'll be back to proper sequelizing. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter, we're sequelizers, or Instagram also sequelizers go to sequelizers.com it links to our patreon our shop our discord everything you could possibly want all in one lovely little place also all the links to all the various podcast services and apps and stuff there as well if you want to follow me i am jlw chambers on all the social media matt how about you stogs s-t-o-g-h-z you can go to the Red Right Hand at Cody K and read my reviews. You can go to Cheeseman.com and see the things Including that I Including your review of this exact movie. You can indeed see them. Just remember, everything is written at the time. It's not adjusted and things. So when I'm saying things like, well, this is a pretty good season, or this is the best thing I've ever seen. He's like, yeah, to 2011 audience. <laughs> um, but yes, you can go there and see those things if you like. Tim, there are some who call you... No, I'm too fucking tired. The Mater Manhunter. <laughs> <laughs> There are some who call you Tim. Indeed, there are. Uh, Where can they find you, Tim? They can find me at trivia underscore lad on Twitter. Uh, come talk to me about DC Comics, and I'm sure I'll share my opinions with you. Um, I have a lot have a lot of feelings about this character. <laughs> well, thank you much for listening, everybody, for enduring a nearly four-hour episode of the show. Longest ever episode. Maybe. We'll see after the So edit. far. We shall see. Yeah, well, yeah. See you soon for season eight. And we're starting with a banger. Spoons! See you then.
mostly spoons. And pigs! Pigs!